Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Lisko. I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your regular host, Phil, but he's playing Bob Cratchit for some reason. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. At least it's a tiny tip. What if you hosted this with yourself, but you were playing a different character? Like, that would be I great. I don't I, think anyone wants that. But But with us today... Uh, Clay Keller, Tom Meissen are both here. It should be said that I reached out to both of you very early on in the process of figuring out who wants what movies. And both of you demanded Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> right out of the gate. It wasn't even a question. You guys didn't. I'm not sure you even looked at the rest of the list. I think you saw Muppet Christmas Carol and you were like, I need to plant my flag. Uh, so there was no choice but to have the two of you on to talk about this film, obviously. What is it about? I mean, when did you first see it? I mean, I'm assuming you were both children when you saw this film. Who is yeah. that question mark aimed towards? Both of you, Clay oh. and Tom. But it's, but yeah, when yeah. did you speak? Uh, who's older? Who we don't know. Who's older between Tom and I? Well, um, who's I'm to say I'm uh, mid to late thirties, early forties. Um, <clears throat> that's that's a big swan. That's the most actorly know, gonna, thing I'll you've ever said. To find out how old I'm meant to be. <laughs> uh i was a child yes phil to answer your question yes I, this was, on tv when did this or, come out or came out in december of 1992 december of 1992 yeah uh uh yeah i guess i'll go first i would have seen this i do not believe i saw this in theaters i would have seen this on vhs tape actually i have the vhs tape there, behind me yeah. here right there i noticed that um i yeah. uh, would have seen this on vhs and this was I don't even know how we acquired this because we weren't a big Muppets 
household. My parent, neither of my parents were big Muppets people. I think the initial run of Muppets came kind of when they were in their later teens, kind of in high school. And so they didn't really have a relationship with the Muppets themselves. So we didn't, I actually didn't, I, I'm glad you're all sitting down. I did not see the Muppet movie until lockdown, <laughs> which is sure. Sure. somewhat what, insane. I had seen the Muppet Christmas Carol 500 times and I did not <laughs> seen the Muppet movie uh, but until you lockdown. other Muppet. Did this open up the Muppets for you? This is absolutely really? my family's my and my family's my siblings primary exposure to okay. the Muppets. I think we got at some point, there was a there was maybe Pizza Hut or Domino's was sliding DVDs into their pizzas, <laughs> and we got <laughs> we got um, the Great Muppet Caper. I want to say sure, sure. That's from, from how that. I that's how I have Muppets Take Manhattan. It was in a cereal box, and I was like, Manhattan. "What is this doing in there?" Manhattan. That's Why are they the just one. Giving Emily, Muppet that's the one. Away, though. It, but it was yeah. It was it was like a free DVD stuck in a. In a, in a in a food product it was and, like uh it was like a willy wonka thing where disney was giving away the rights to the muppets because they weren't doing oh. anything with them and it was like in a cereal box and if you got okay. the right yeah. cereal box you would just own the muppets but i think it made it sound really nice as opposed to just some really slaggy corporate <laughs> no they weren't they weren't actually giving away the muppets but it was very much like we don't know what to do with these so we're just gonna put the movies in cereal, in cereal box uh but yeah to answer your question phil this was this was uh, this this and it's a wonderful life these were my christmas movies. these were the annual every year christmas movies uh so yeah i saw okay. this movie every year Even from the time i was sure. three years old until until two weeks ago so tom what was Hi. your first exposure to this film in the cinema okay. in 1992 yeah and then 1993 got it on vhs and mm-hmm. watched it every christmas since so literally this... every Christmas since every when I was a child, every every Christmas when I was a teenager, my brother also loved it. So he'd always just put it on and say, "Oh my god, come on, Christmas!" And I go, "Oh my god, fucking Christmas!" But <laughs> sit and watch it and love it and cherish it. And then as an adult, I got it on DVD when they cut "The Love Is Gone," which I'm sure we'll come to. I assume that's most of what this conversation will be about, Tom. (laughs) I can absolutely believe it. Um, So, and then this is a a Chris. This is like this is Christmas with my son. So now I, it's and he loves it. Loves it. It's his favorite as well. Okay. Now, Emily, Mm. I know Mm. that you are the queen of Christmas. Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on a limb and say that this is probably not your Christmas movie, but like. Is it in the Pantheon? I uh, I like this movie okay. <laughs> I And here's the thing. I love the fucking Muppets. I am in the exact right. Because for some reason, the one of the local stations where I grew up aired the Muppet show for many years after it ended in syndication. Sure. So I grew up watching that. I grew up watching Muppet Babies. I'm the exact right age for Muppet Babies to have been a thing for me. Um, I saw the movies. Weirdly, I also didn't see the Muppet movie until I was an adult, but I saw the other ones. I saw this not in theaters, but, uh, you know, shortly after it came out on VHS. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think this is I think this is a very charming movie. At the time, I very much I was very cognizant of Jim Henson's death. 
That was like yeah. the first big death I was aware of. Sure. So like I saw this movie through the prism of that and was like, the voices are all wrong. And now I don't care about that. But like at the time right. it was a, a big deal for me. Um, I loved the Muppet family Christmas TV special from 87 or 88, oh, okay. which okay. is Jim Henson's last appearance with the Muppets. And it's so beautiful and so wonderful. And, and like, I uh, uh, cherish that in the way I think a lot of people cherish this, but I, I've, I've come, I've really come around. I used to not like this movie and I've come around on it. I think it's good. Uh, all of my problems with it stem from the stupidest thing, which we will get to in a moment. Great. Sure. Can't wait. I do think we've, we've done a, you're going to ruin of- Christmas from Emily <laughs> because you're so fucking eloquent. Oh my and God. Thoughtful. <laughs> I know that you're going not only going to destroy every Christmas I've had since I was 10, but also all Christmases from now on and um, my child's Christmases. And I'm that's, that's, that's the Christmas spirit. That's I what Emily brings I, to Christmas. Have, this is coming out on Christmas Eve, and I hope I ruin everyone's Christmas. No, <laughs> I, uh, I, I cannot stress enough how dumb my reason for not really digging this movie is. Truly, I can't, can't wait. wait. But I do think that we've done kind of a string of movies over the last little while emily of sort of i don't like pretty beloved films mm-hmm. that emily comes in and goes i like this movie fine i know <laughs> like... we've it's it, we've it hold on sneakers uh-huh a league of their own i love i a league of their own oh, i love a league i love a league of their own that one's in my top Batman returns five. yeah yeah. Oh, uh, Emily, I'm with you on Batman Returns. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's nice. It's good. It's good. It's nice. It's nice. So it's I, I do film. think it's interesting. I think I yeah. We don't need to relitigate. We've done. We did three no. hours on Batman Returns. But I, I do think that um, what's interesting is I'm looking at. I thought there were more Muppet movies than there are. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Which I think is just kind of because of how sort of ubiquitous they are. But yeah. like, it's Muppet movie, Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan, Muppet Christmas Carol. Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets from Space, and then the two kind of like new ones, which was the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted. And I think it's so funny because I feel like online, there's always people being like, we should do a Muppet version of X, right? Mm-hmm. Like Muppets do this, Muppets do that. But the Muppets only did it twice. <laughs> like it seems as though there's like a yeah. whole genre of Muppets redoing things. They well, they really did. There was TV stuff. There was a yeah. Wizard of Oz they true. did. And was there sure. one other one or is it just the Wizard of Oz? They did Wizard of Oz. They did a riff on It's a Wonderful Life, which is not okay. It's a Wonderful But like, Fair enough. I do think like, it was. It did seem like it was going to be a profitable way for them to continue to right. be. And then they, after Muppets Treasure Island, which is very good, I like that movie too. Uh, they did Muppets on Space, which is a disaster. So Muppets from Space yeah. was a, which we covered on our ninety nine podcast, and is a straight up like bad movie. It's like Muppets doing Austin Powers in a weird mm-hmm. way. Like it's it just they're 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 the tone is all off, right? And it was a disaster, like at the box office. And it was it was really kind of the moment when everyone was like, I guess we're done with Muppets. And it's not until That's Jason when they Siegel shoved and Nick them in Stoller. cereal boxes. <laughs> but like then Jason Siegel kind of brings it back but like i still feel like people don't really know what to do with them like the shows on disney plus don't seem to really be working and there was an abc show probably so many people think doing the muppets is easy and think that when jim henson era muppets was easy because it's just mucking about having a laugh telling some jokes much like pantomime over here people think doing pantomime is easy and those people do it really badly. And it's actually <laughs> incredibly complicated. And doing the Muppets, well, it's incredibly complex. Yeah. yeah. I... It, it's also a real, like, 
balancing act of tone like because if you go back to like the muppet show right which was its own sort of pastiche of kind of talk show 70s kind of what have you that just doesn't hit today like i don't know that you can do that again. i think like it's it the muppet show which is where yeah. from whence the muppets originate because obviously they had existed before that but like our conception of the muppets as an entity comes from the muppet show it was very grounded in vaudeville and variety shows and that kind of performance which is in a a, a idiom we just don't have anymore like my child who is one who doesn't have a lot of understanding of dramatic storytelling is going to grow up in a world where none of that happened i sort of feel similarly about the simpsons where like the lingua franca they exist within is the family sitcom of the 50s through 80s and that increasingly just doesn't exist and like uh, obviously there are many reasons that show is kind of uh, a limp husk of what it was although i hear it's gotten good again i need to like check that out but like Emily, people year. say that every six years this time it's <laughs> this time it's from people where i'm like hmm, they might but actually this know it's true yeah, okay. but All like right. I but like and the thing is if you watch even episodes from the really shitty years they're still like fine it's just that like that idiom the family sitcom is now not around anymore so it's no longer subverting yeah. anything it's become the thing that's being subverted if the only example you have of vaudevillian style storytelling is the muppets then there's like no there's nothing left there right. for them to be satirizing sure. so like they keep trying to come up with like putting them in I do think the early movies this is me talking a lot about the muppets but i do think the early movies where they put them in different genres like we're doing a road yes. movie now we're doing yeah. a caper movie now we're doing a musical i think that's kind of the way to go with them but that requires you to have an understanding of them as characters that i'm not sure culturally exists anymore right. so it's it's a it's an ouroboros of a problem well because i well, well, Emily, really they did do the sequel to the Jason Siegel movie was uh, yeah, yeah, put yeah. the Muppets in a prison film, which was <laughs> put them in a gulag movie. That was, was a bold good? choice. I never saw it. I prefer it. I prefer I like it to, that movie. to the first yeah. one. Yeah, really? I like that movie. I like the first one fine. Yeah. I enjoyed the first one. That's no, I, Muppets yeah. Most Wanted, uh, even Ricky Gervais comes out of that looking okay. I, I, I like that movie. We're I, doing I a sequel is yeah. one of the Muppets' best songs as well. I love that yeah. song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I, it is interesting in regards to, to Christmas Carol, how like it's sort of a weird thing for them to put them up. It's into, and, and, and I think it works, but I do think it's a bit of a, I mean, a bit of a risk in the sense that the Muppets themselves are kind of bit players in this. Like oh, they're Phil. not, here we go. Here we go. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, is this, this your big thing? I, and I don't say that this is a bad thing, but it is sort of interesting to me when Miss Piggy shows up really deep into the movie, you're just sort of like, oh, right, this is a Muppet movie. Like it's it's Gonzo is probably the most sort of prevalent one because he narrates the movie. With, but like and yet he's not particularly Gonzo-esque. No, you know. It's it's it is fascinating to me because if you look at sort of the trajectory that you just sort of outlined, Emily, of like, you know, Muppet movie, Muppet caper, Muppets take Manhattan. It's not a foregone conclusion that this is necessarily the right tact. It yeah. works. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed this film. And also for the record, for our listeners, I'd never seen this film before. So this is my first time what? seeing Muppet Christmas Carol. What? <laughs> Wait, Phil, if I had known that. OK, you watched the correct version. Yes. 
I, I watched the version on Disney Plus and then I watched the song, which is separate. It's well, like a special. No, feature. Disney Plus, if you go into the special features, there's a full 4K. It's all put together. It's all a complete film on Disney Thank Plus. Yeah. Last, last year, last year, I watched oh, Phil, this is why you need to, to let us know these things so we can put you on the right path. <laughs> Tom, I'm sorry. Oh, Christ. Yes, Tom, you were this saying. all ruined. I think they got rid of the song again. Last year, I watched it on Disney Plus and I had the song, and this year, rewatched it. The song was like it's a special feature where you can watch they, it out. So, like the last year, it well, was with the song, and now they've switched it back to you watch it without. But in the special features, is the full movie. So is the full can, movie? Uh, yeah. No, g- g- gentlemen, I watched it on Disney Plus two weeks ago, and it had it had the song. But you have to go into the extras. Yeah, and it's called like the complete version or something. Oh, oh well, that, I, that's my mistake, and I apologize. I just got a text from Bob Iger. We're speaking again after the strike. He said Phil fucked up. So <laughs> I fucked up. But I, I just it was interesting watching this film. Obviously, I know a Christmas Carol. I've I've seen iterations of it many, many times over. Right. I think this is probably and I still have one more to watch, which Emily and I are going to talk about on our Patreon. So maybe that one is going to be the best one. But as of right now, this is probably my favorite version of a Christmas. All Carol. right, Phil, all is forgiven. But I, I, but watching it, I was just really sort of surprised that Kermit and Miss Piggy aren't as big a role. Now, all that being said, their storyline is so emotionally potent that I think it works. But it is sort of surprising that like Kermit's not like you know. Well, I I, I think one of the reasons they took this approach, Phil, is going back to talking about what Tom was saying, how difficult it is to do the Muppets, is because. The Muppets really were, I mean, they were Henson. They were Henson and Frank Oz and, and Jerry Jewell and Steve Goals. And those, those original people all that, that formed that, that group at the beginning that's so born out of their personalities and their chemistry and their kind of unique skew on the world. And I think, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, one of the reasons they chose to go this way for the first post-Jim Henson project kind of was because it decentralized some of the personalities of certainly Henson, who is no longer there. Uh, So Kermit not only is sort of has a diminished role, but is also not really Kermit. It's Kermit playing uh, Mm, Bob Cratchit. And they threw around a lot of ideas and wanted to do, I think it was before Henson died, he had sort of expressed, if I'm remembering this correctly, like he liked doing these Christmas things like the Emma Otter and the the family Christmas and everything, and that doing a big screen Christmas thing was on like the idea board, and they were like, sure. "Oh, this is a perfect." I think it was maybe Jerry Jewell was just like, "I love the Christmas Carol," and they're like, "Oh," and it was just kind of like a flash of inspiration. But I, and that's why this works for me. Also, this was my first Christmas Carol and my first Muppets, so none of the problems that people, you know, sure. none of the preconceived anything that people bring into this affected me at all watching this which is the perfect way to you know come in uncritically and just have this become part of your you know dna like for myself and and tom you know that you sort of hinted at the development and it is interesting that so henson dies in may of 90 and apparently a talent agent bill haber approached brian henson the son i think he was brian's agent yes with an adaptation of an of a christmas carol um and it was going to be an ABC TV movie. So similar to sort of what you guys were talking about of them doing sort of more TV oriented stuff. And then uh, once the script was submitted, the executives at Disney 
purchased the script and said, we want to do this as a feature instead. Um, and then Jerry Jewell was hired to write the script. And it, it, it's just, it's interesting that it feels like this speaks to what you're talking about, Clay, of Jim always wanted to do a Christmas thing and Brian saw an opportunity to be able to sort of have his cake and eat it too, right? Do a Christmas thing with the Muppets, but reduce them a little bit so that it didn't feel as though it was as sort of onerous on the people that um, that have been doing it previously. The Michael Caine... Not only that, yes, not only that but he was probably, he must have been shitting himself. 100%. He was like, 25? 26? Yeah. He was, was he really? 20... Uh, yeah, sorry. He was young. I don't, he was in his 20s. Yeah. He was in his 20s. I maintain, I've said this before and I'll say it again, <laughs> I think this is one of the best debut features. Yeah, I don't know how that I've seen. This is a beautifully made movie. Yeah. I agree yeah. with that. I, I mean, I think that, I mean, whenever I watch anything with the Muppets, and obviously many people have spoken about the moment when Kermit rides a bicycle in the Muppet movie, everyone's brains just kind of exploded because they were like, I don't understand how, how you did this. And I do find every time I watch any sort of Muppet thing, I'm like, I don't really know how you're pulling this off because it's just, unlike animation or whatever, this is tactile. Like, this is a, this is done with, like, actual physical puppets. Uh, and And I just can't even imagine what it's like to do it. Seems like a nightmare to me. Um, I want to give a little bit of uh, context for this. The Muppets performed the classic Dickens holiday tale with Kermit the Frog playing Bob Cratchit, the put-upon clerk of stingy Ebenezer Scrooge played by Michael Caine. Other Muppets, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Fozzie Bear, and Sam the Eagle weave in and out of the story while Scrooge revisits, uh, receives visits, that is, from spirits of the three Christmases, past, present, and future. They show him the errors of his self-serving ways, but the miserable old man seems to, uh, seems to be past any hope of redemption and happiness. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol opened on December 11th, 1992, against A Few Good Men, Home Alone 2, The Bodyguard, Aladdin, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. Uh, this is why I got crushed oh at the box office. What a marquee. <laughs> what a didn't fucking it, marquee. Didn't it, like make, didn't it like make a little bit of money? Like it was not like, uh, it was a, not like a huge flop, but it was like... It goes on yeah. to make 27 on a $12 million budget. So yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like no one lost their shirts on this, but, but I think that obviously they're like, we have to release Christmas Carol at Christmas time. And that's all fine and good, but I don't think they could have imagined that like they were going to get just crushed by Aladdin I and feel, Home Alone too. I feel like well, this they is... released Aladdin. I would have hoped yeah. they would have had some inkling <laughs> of an idea. That's true. Sorry, I feel like... like this is right before the era when, if you release a Christmas movie somewhere after the first weekend in November, it will just play and play and play and play into about mid-January. So, yeah, like, yeah. The, you know, even like five years later, if they had released this mm -hmm. movie in late November, like around Thanksgiving, it would have just like yeah, they put it out that's too when, late. That's when Home Alone Two comes out. Home Alone Two comes out in the in the Thanksgiving corridor, right. and it just crushes. They probably thought they were getting out of Home Alone Two's way, and then Home Alone yep. Two goes yeah. on to make five hundred million dollars or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and Aladdin's still making money. It came out in the fucking summer. <laughs> like oh. Aladdin, or but wasn't it? It, the it came out. I came out the week before Home Alone Two, I believe. Okay, sorry. Yeah, but Aladdin. I mean, again, these. They, I think they just imagined that there there'd be room for it at this point, right? What they probably should have done is actually released it like on Christmas, like given it another week or so, and maybe it might have been able to do a little bit better. But it's got seventy seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, eighty six percent from is audiences. 
Um, Roger Ebert gave the film three stars and said, curious that Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol should be the most beloved of all fiction Christmas stories. It's a tale of gothic gloom, uh, relieved only by the end and the warmth of holiday cheer. Like all the Muppet movies, this one is a musical with original songs by Paul Williams. Uh, it could have done with a few more songs than it has like the one that was cut that we'll talk about. Uh, and the merrymaking at the end might have been carried on a little longer, just to upset the gloom of most of Scrooge's tour throughout his lifetime spent spreading, spreading misery. Will the kids like the movie? The kids around me in the theater seem to, although more uh, for the Muppets than for the cautionary tale of Scrooge. Well, yes, I'd mm, surprising. That, that tracks. I, you know, I guess the question I have for you guys is, what do you think it is about the Muppets that is so special? Like, what what is that? I know, I know it's a big question, Whoa. but like, what is that sort of, what's the secret sauce? Uh, Everyone, I think, don't I all think, speak at once. I think it's, I think it's Henson and Oz. Oh, yeah. and I, I think say. like, I think obviously they have continued to exist as characters and people continue to love them and enjoy them. And I think there have been good Muppet things made since Jim Henson died, including this, although this features everybody else. Frank Oz is yeah. still there doing, doing stuff, etc. Um, But uh, yeah, I think it's Henson and Oz. They're amazing performers. They're amazing performers together. Um, and you know, was I th- Oz involved in Treasure Island? Sorry to interrupt you. I don't remember. I'd have I to. I think look Oz up. didn't stop doing the voices until Most Wanted. He stopped puppeteering okay. at some point, but then he mm-hmm. would do the voice over. Yeah. The voices, but yeah. he stopped very recently. Like I think it might have been Most Wanted was the first one he didn't do, or maybe even something the t some TV thing after that. But yeah, he kept going for a while. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're, he does the voices. Voice only is what it says on Muppet Treasure Island. So it is, I'm assuming so he he's stopped no puppeteering. He's stopped puppeteering after this. After this you know? There's a sense of anarchy to them, I think, that uh, is very... I think the problem with anarchic characters is they cease to be anarchic because they become normalized in a weird way. Like, nobody thinks of Mickey Mouse, could ever think of Mickey Mouse as anarchic. But, like, his early movies, he's kind of a piece of shit. And then, like... <laughs> Bugs Bunny comes along and like supplants that. And now Bugs Bunny is also a corporate mascot. The thing about these characters, Bart Simpson's another one. They just become, they they become this corporate like thing that people can implant their, can like sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Can like sort of put their own feelings onto. And like, I think Kermit, I think was interesting because he was always the guy at the center of the chaos. And I think that's why, the Muppets have managed to maintain some of that anarchy because Kermit always plays as the straight man to them. He's the Bob yeah. Newhart of the Muppets. But like, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's that anarchic quality that people loved and that is hard to keep going, especially once the original creators are gone. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. I mean, I, I I've seen almost all the movies. I haven't seen Treasure Island. That's the only one I think I haven't oh. seen. Tim Curry, I hear Tim Tim Curry is an actor probably most suited to working with Muppets. Yeah, Outside of Michael Caine, who... Treasure Island out. is... Phil, you'll like it. It is, in terms of the production, it's every bit as cinematic. And, like, Henson just does a killer job. I think the script isn't as, as funny as Muppet Christmas mm-hmm. Carol. Uh, but it's the production is just like lavish. The, they do an incredible yeah. job. He on those two movies, Henson just did a, just a killer job. You know, I to your point, Tom. I think it's interesting because there was this quote that was floating around as I was doing some research on it about how 
Michael Caine performs as though um, the Muppets are actors as well, right? Like that he's sort of a consummate actor in the way that he approaches it. He's, he's a straight man, whereas Tim mm-hmm. Curry thinks he's a Muppet. So he performs you know, like a Muppet. <laughs> yeah, well, funnily enough, Home Alone 2 that you mentioned yes. earlier, um, yes. we watched it this afternoon. Oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as also, as we said earlier, you play the game of if this film were a Muppet film, who would be the one actor? <laughs> and we we did this when we were on a walk the other day and and my son said... Well, they're all Muppets except for Kevin. It's got to be Kevin is the one who isn't a Muppet. But then watching it, he said, no, that guy, that guy has got to be, got to be in it. And it's, Tim and Curry it's because is, he is, yeah, it's like right. having another Muppet. He's perfect. He stands out in Home Alone 2, a movie that's... He stands uh, out in everything. I, He's I, genuinely I, one of my favorite actors ever. And oh, yeah. if you don't believe me, watch Congo. He's perfect. He, uh, uh, I still best know him for, for doing a voice in one of my favorite computer games when I was a teenager, and he does it with the world's most ridiculous southern accent, but it's perfect. <laughs> He's just like, I've been thinking about Nolans, and you're like, good work, Tim Curry. I love you. I love you. Please be my boyfriend. Um, I hear, okay, I think this is another thing the Muppets have over other similar characters. They can interact with human beings. Like, I was looking back at, like, what are the other Muppet things I've liked in the last however many years? Lady Gaga and the Muppets Christmas special, to me, is, like, a thing that the Muppets should do more of. Let's find a celebrity. Let's do an old-fashioned variety special, probably around the holidays. The Muppets are there. They're hanging out with someone. And, like, Lady Gaga is so good at playing off the Muppets. And here, Michael Caine's so good at... So, like, I think the fact that they can interact with real people is, like, a a thing they have that other... And that goes back, that goes back to the unique process that Jim Henson pioneered, which is it's not a puppet. It's the, the, and you'll see this. I don't know if any of you have seen this, Tom, obviously you don't live in Los Angeles, but maybe have you ever been to the Henson studio and seen Brian Henson? I've driven past it many times. No, no. But have you been to see his, his show, his puppet up show? So he, every, maybe four times a year, they do a weekend and they do like two or three shows per day, per, like Saturday and Sunday. And it is in a soundstage on, on the Muppet Studios. Uh, and you can just get a, get a ticket and go. Tom Space. And it's, right it's, it's, it's no, it's incredible. It is a puppet improv show that is the pitch is sort of like it's a for adults, pup, like it's not puppet. It's, sure. it's, you know, they can't say Muppet because that's Disney owns that word, but it's a puppet improv show that uh henson does with a bunch of other really 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 incredible funny people a lot of the people who are currently working as muppeteers you know on official uh muppet things muppet business but it is it's it's not nearly as as raunchy as they as they they pitch it it's not just like ooh, aren't we being you know naughty it's a fascinating look at how they do this because this this process that henson created is that the the Muppeteers never they're you don't see them. They are out of sight. They're underneath the floor. They're inside of a barrel. They're behind a, a, a thing. And they watch a television. Every everything they do is off of this this monitor that they have in, in front of them. And they learn how to interact with people via this monitor. So any actor, any person who comes in here, and everybody look, Michael Caine gives an incredible performance in this movie. I think he's astounding. But every year on Twitter, 
the entire time leading up to Christmas, it's a bunch of people getting 10,000 likes with some variation of Michael Caine didn't have to go this hard, but blah, 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 or only Michael Caine, he's doing Shakespeare, blah, blah, blah. You, everybody, you look at the Muppet Show, you look at Lady Gaga, you look at, it is the magic, again, Phil, to your question, what makes the, the Muppets unique? It's this this process that Henson pioneered and then like slavishly made everybody and all, all of his, you know, people adhere to it's you have, you have to do it this way is the, 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 the Muppet becomes real because of the way they do this. You just forget that this is not a real, uh, well, you know, thing that you are interacting with. And it makes almost any person seem like an incredible actor playing it totally serious with these goofy puppets because that because of what the way Hansen created it exactly you're so right that you know all the time people say the the famous quote of Michael Caine saying I'm going to play it like I'm in the Royal Shakespeare Company right and his way of interacting with the Muppets is what makes it so special when no you're completely right it's how the Muppets interact with him yeah that makes yeah, it yeah. work he just has to look at the Muppet eyes rather than down at the person with the hand up the Muppet ass. I, you know, it's interesting. All the stuff you guys are talking about makes me feel like I have not watched the the Disney Plus Muppet stuff. Now, I believe there is actors like the Muppet Mayhem stuff, and I, I, I forgive me, I'm not as as well versed in it, but I do feel like a variety show, the Muppet Show is the best possible version of what we're talking about because all of these, all the clips you've seen or all the shows you've watched, all the actors are fully committed to the bit, right? Like the pure joy and the fun of being a human treating these Muppets like real people is just, it's so, it's so joyous and, and childlike. I mean, it's just, it's imagination personified. I think that, We've lost that. There's a bit of a cynicism now, and the Muppets are trying to sort of, I hate to say it, but trying to be cool as opposed to leaning into what makes them great. And I wonder yeah, whether that, or not that's yeah. getting lost in it too. That'll never work. Uh, I think the magic dust of the old Muppet show was, and the reason they were so real when they were on stage, quote unquote, sure. is that we see them backstage trying to get it put on. Right, right, right. And so that adds uh, a completely, I mean, I don't know when Henson came up with the idea or why, but it's absolute genius mm -hmm. to say we're going to watch them try and get the, the show put on and watch them failing, and then we'll go out the front and we'll see the show. And because we've seen backstage, because we've seen Miss Piggy in the dressing room, mm -hmm. we believe her so much more when she's on stage that it's an actual mm -hmm. performer. And then you can bring in whoever you want and it's two actual performers together. Mm -hmm. The show, the, the 2015 show, which is a uh, mockumentary office-style show, didn't work. On ABC, right? Yeah, on oh, ABC. Yeah, it didn't work, one. but it came close to figuring out how to do that in a modern yeah. context. And, like, if they had gotten three more seasons, they would have gotten there. <laughs> but, like, that show, I mean, now you don't have time to figure that shit out. It has to be there from episode one, and they weren't there right. from episode one. But, like, I felt like, the, the DNA of that had the right show in it. 
you know who probably loves all this behind the scenes stuff is Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Oh my God, Aaron Sorkin. Okay, listen, listen. Mm. All, everybody knows my feelings on Aaron mm. Sorkin, but if he wanted to do a hyper, like, sincere Muppets style <laughs> show, like it's just would watch. It's Studio uh, sixty on the Sunset yep. Strip, but with the Muppets, and also yep. uh, Bradley Whitford's there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it has to He's be Amanda. It has to be Amanda Peet. Amanda yeah. Peet has to be the only human. <laughs> And Miss Piggy plays Harriet Hayes, and uh, it sounds it sounds perfect. I, I mean, it is just interesting. I guess I had never thought about the behind-the-scenes component, Tom, in terms of how integral it is. And when, generally speaking, that's actually not great in the sense that, like, audiences don't really care about the machinations of how something that gets made, generally speaking. But I think the Muppets do it from, like, an emotional place. Whereas, but also, that's yeah. where the anarchy is. Right, 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 right. The anarchy and things going wrong backstage so that when they're out front and in front of the studio audience, mm-hmm. everything can be smooth. And then they can do the typical, you know, gags and, and, and it gags, all works yeah. smoothly. And so they get the best of both. I, I fully agree with you. I, I think that it's... I agree with sort of, obviously, what you were all saying in terms of this razor's edge that the Muppets live on in terms of like anarchy and sentimentality and earnestness. Like it's all a lot of plates they keep spinning, which is again, why I think it's so hard to pull these off. But I, I, I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's just interesting um, to think about Disney buys the Muppets when did they buy the Muppets? They, they bought the Muppets right before Jim Henson's death. I want to say it was 89 and he died in early okay. 1990. And like a lot of uh, his, uh, his family has always sort of been like that deal and trying to maintain his like creative uh, stake in the Muppets, like really uh, contributed to his health, taking a downturn. Oh, so we can blame Disney for that too. Well, what's yeah. interesting is that, they buy the Muppets, but Muppets from Space is a Sony picture, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I'm wondering whether or not, forgive me if I'm making that up, but yeah, it was a Sony movie. So I don't know like what the deal is with the Muppets in terms of like, because they're back with Disney now, for sure. But I'm also like, I think that the, was the muppets the the uh okay that was disney um i was just wondering about the uh the jason siegel movie but it does feel as though like the rights to the muppets is is always kind of a question mark to some degree but i think there was a i think there was a window in which uh different studios had purchased adaptation rights for the muppets in which they could produce it's sort of like how um uh, Fox had to keep making X-Men movies or how Sony has to keep making okay. Spider-Man movies. So those rights don't revert to Disney. I think it was like I that. See. And Muppets from Space was such a bomb that Sony was just like, you can have these. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it is just kind of fascinating to me that they haven't really found a way to capitalize on this truly beloved troupe of characters. Well, um, yeah. are, are they though? In a generation. Oh. Are I think they, they are. Love? No, I think they are, I, Emily. And to your I point, I, 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 I think I don't know if anybody will ever be capable of recapturing the magic again of those original creators of these characters. Because I think there was a specific 
comedic sensibility. And to your point, Emily, at that point in time, in the late 70s, in the early 80s, there was something they were doing that was bold and anarchic and different and something people hadn't seen. And now we're very comfortable with all these characters. What I think they could do is lean into the mascot thing. These are beloved these are beloved characters as much as we love buying plushes of them and little things. They should just uh, go all in and do more stuff at the park, at the Disney parks with them where they, it's not required of them to create new stories, to create new content. You can just evoke the great feelings, do an equivalent to like the Simpsons land at universal studios where you can just go and uh, be nostalgic and live amongst this, this imagery and these characters that you love without them having the burden of having to continually try to recapture the magic in the form of a movie or a TV show or something. Right. Uh, that's what I would like I'd to see. And and I think I'd, that could work. I'd go and stay in a Muppet hotel in Disney. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. I think when I ask, are they truly beloved is obviously I beloved, I beloved, the Muppets. That's not a word, but I beloved them. Yeah. And I think a lot of people our age do. Like I, said, I you're think, so eloquent. I, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think the generation that loves the Muppets is too small to really market to because they, like, after Henson dies, they fall out of the public consciousness. Like, they keep making stuff, but it's just, yeah. it, it's diminishing returns. And then when they came, when they made the big comeback moves with them, those never really hit to the level they needed to. Like, I would love if my kid loved the Muppets as much as I do, and I'm sure that I'll show them, you know, Muppet shit. But, like, uh, I do think, like, the fact, yeah, they've tried to do the merchandising thing so many times. I own a Muppets Monopoly game for some reason. <laughs> but, like, okay, so, like, a similar situation is I have, like, 10 billion Snoopies at my yeah. desk. Right. It seemed like I was taking notes. I was just drawing Charlie Brown. <laughs> but um, I so I love I love peanuts. Peanuts is like a formative thing for me. And okay. peanuts now they know there are no longer new comic strips, but they're continuing to make specials and movies and stuff. And they have so much merchandising shit they can do with Snoopy, especially in a way that I don't think like the Muppets are just not cuddly in that way. Like who's you know Kermit kind of. I think they're just caught between a rock and a hard place where they need to keep making stuff for the Muppets to be relevant. But the people who care about the Muppets are this like micro generation. I think, I think it that... might even be. And actually it's funny bringing the peanuts into it because that might, it's quite similar in that Henson and Schultz are completely free of any cynicism. There's nothing cynical about the Muppets. There's nothing cynical about peanuts. and. Uh, at the risk of being cynical, I don't think there are many writers who will approach anything without a level of cynicism. Hey, Emily St. James. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I but do, I, but I, I don't yeah, think you can achieve that. Where it, yeah. where it's it's so completely innocent. And what's the last thing that you've seen that you can say that about? My solution to this is Muppet Christmas Carol seems to be the Muppets' pop culture foothold right now. Like, that's the thing people watch. That's the thing people love. I think they go all in on Christmas because Christmas is like a time when we're not cynical. We're allowed to be sincere. I think they do like a spell. Like, they should do this has long been my pitch. They should do a TV special with Josh Groban, where like the like an homage to the John Denver one, where Josh Groban just sings Christmas hits and the Muppets are there. He's very, he's a very good actor. He's very, but he also has sure. that thing where like your grandma will want to watch him. So that's and then right. of course and do it as an yeah. annual and get a new person every year yeah. or whatever and then Tom, you only have you to do one thing. 
Can you yeah, sing, Tom? Tom? Can you sing? Can I sing? Okay, you're doing can one I of these. Sing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I, I think that I, I think you're yeah. absolutely right, Emily. That that the Muppets and the and Peanuts are an interesting comparison point. I do think that Peanuts exists in sort of a different slipstream, though. Like I, sure. I, I, one of the things I remember most about Snoopy was the was it insurance ads that he did for a really long yeah. time. He <laughs> still does those. I think yeah. he's still the yeah. mascot for MetLife. Okay. They, yeah, they uh, like, Schultz Schultz merchandised the fuck out of those characters. Right. That said, the same thing happened with Garfield, and no longer is Garfield as culturally omnipresent, even though his comic strip is still making new comics every day. Those movies were, really and there's a new bad. movie. There's a Chris Pratt movie coming out. Hell yeah, Garfield. <laughs> I, I so I I have a question, and I don't know the answer to this, and I imagine that you guys will. Which is that Muppets Take Manhattan comes out in eighty four, mm-hmm. Muppet Christmas Carol is ninety two. Yeah, what's happening in that eight years? I know Jim Henson is sick, and I don't mean to make light of that, but I'm just curious what because that's a big gap. And Muppets Take Manhattan was a big movie, like it was a hit, uh, and I right. just feel like, well, the Henson Company were doing other things. Oh, so they were doing Labyrinth. And they were doing yeah. Henson okay. gets yeah. sick of doing them. He, I mean, he what was I it? See. He only did. Okay. Manhattan as sort of like a, a will give you the money to do Dark Crystal if you do another Muppet movie kind yeah, of thing. Totally he didn't it. really okay. want to keep doing it was okay. it was movies. sold at the time as the last Muppet movie. Yeah. Like really very okay. much in the sense of like we're the end of that is we're sending Miss Piggy and Kermit off into the sunset. Don't you love them? Now they're actually married. You can imagine this is the happy ending for the Muppets. Sure. Uh, and now they're all performing on Broadway. Uh, by the way, my letterbox review of Muppets Take Manhattan is one of my all-time masterpieces. I'll it is, it is an imagined sure. conversation between two people who stumbled into the premiere of the show at the end of Muppets Take Manhattan. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I like that. Like Henson wanted to do other things. Frank Oz's directing career was taking off. Like they were uh, very much uh, interested in not yeah. doing the Muppets anymore, but the Muppets ended up being the only marketable thing they could do. So then Henson had to sell the Muppets and like, it just, yeah. I mean, I think that there's been many, uh, you know, think pieces about your dark crystals and your Fraggle rocks and your labyrinths and how, you know, bold they were at the time and how kind of crazy it is that they got made and the and and how beautiful and amazing they are but it's also sort of understandable why those things just never like fully took off like when you watch something like labyrinth which i think is an amazing movie and i love Mm. it but it does feel like a movie that's made for a very sort of specific group of people if that makes sense uh and dark crystal as well where just like these are even more so no freakish movies <laughs> i don't know how else to say it i love them but it, it it's just sort of it's interesting to me that and i guess that's just the case of this industry which is that once something's a hit and once people want you to just keep doing the same thing over and over again artists get bored of doing the same thing over and over again so i i completely understand it but um so for for muppet christmas carol uh just to go around the horn here favorite song oh jumping right into favorite song just ju- this is a fucking Damn. tear out the band-aid Damn. I noticed when I uh, last rewatched it, this is time. and I was thinking in particular about the songs, how I think it's completely inspired to have so many of the songs sound so similar. They're <laughs> sure. really, really similar. 
it's as if there's a, a musical motif that goes all the way through when there isn't. It's just the songs kind of sound, mm-hmm. you know. No, they work. It's, I mean, Paul Williams' work in this is just fabulous. It was and, his first. His oh. first sober, I think. Really? He, um, oh, really? he thought okay. that he had killed his career through the eighties through uh, drink and drugs, and uh, um, joined AA and NA beginning of ninety. Yeah. Or end of eighty nine, beginning of ninety, and this was his first job after it, and he couldn't get any other work. Really? And she was like, oh, well, fuck it, I'm fine, I'm really fucked, I'll go and do a fucking Muppet <laughs> film. <laughs> and I think it's a masterpiece, the songs and are it, all... I so believe fun. that Clay just grabbed his vinyl, is that, uh, is that what just happened? Yeah, I need oh. to, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my favorite, I'm trying to answer your question, this impossible question <laughs> you asked, Bill. I think the one that pops back into my head the most... Uh-huh. It goes to Christmas sleep present. Christmas. Yeah. Which one, sir? Yeah, okay. What, what, one more sleep till Christmas. The one at the beginning of the movie where they are that closing up shop like and they are walking yeah. through town, and it ends with Kermit. Uh, just one, just what a shot where he's now al- alone in the town square and he looks up at the shooting star and all that. Um, I think, but they're all, they're all so good, and they all. Oh, but also that moment held the story. That so moment, well. which which the shooting star apparently is a, a little nod to hence to Jim Henson. And but what I think is so bold is that you have this really beautiful, joyful song about excitement and we're going to have Christmas. It's one more sleep till Christmas. And this is what we've waited for the whole year. And it's families together and it's joyful. And what do they do? They go straight to the orphan rabbit shivering yeah. under paper. And I think that is so bold. That's so bold. And it's the last thing you'd expect from a Muppet film. This movie's like spoiler really sad <laughs> like this movie has this just ennui and like melancholy that's coursing through it that i was just quite frankly not expecting now maybe i should the have spirit but... of the dickens yeah yeah that's what I was perfectly say. Yeah. absolutely yeah. perfectly and they do that they by using not only are they you know uh evoking the as you said phil the the, the mood mm-hmm. and the message of the dickens so well but just they make this brilliant decision just to straight up use a lot of the the prose from mm. from the Dickens, which it just fits it fits so well. That's that's another one of these like inspired ideas that they came up with, and I, I want to say it was Jerry Jewell's idea, but that that may be uh, incorrect. I, I I think it was, but it's like why not? Dickens was a spectacular, <laughs> spectacularly <laughs> f- hilarious Dude. writer. Just give. <laughs> Have Gonzo just say his words, and it'll and, yeah. and it's like it's it's kismet. It's perfect. I feel like so. I feel like yes, Christmas sure. Carol is one of those things that people, when you do an adaptation, you do a lot of the language from it, which is interesting because it's unlike Shakespeare, you know, where it's meant to be on the stage. But like, mm-hmm. I think because Dickens every year would travel around reading it out loud to people, so it got this feeling of like a stage that. performance. Yeah, Dickens was like a huge celebrity uh, and people like would line up to, he was the Taylor Swift of his day, um, <laughs> line up to see him read A Christmas Carol. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that the language is so often preserved and I, I do love 
the way this this special does that. I just looked up Paul Williams' career, and absolutely, Tom, I'm like, he he does the Muppet movie, and that ends on Rainbow Connection, which is like all time king shit, and then he kind of like disappears. <laughs> And he does he does songs for Ishtar and shit. Like he he is around, right. but he this is really when he comes back. Everyone's favorite musical Ishtar. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks to thank you, Paul Willie. I had remembered I, him working with the Muppets way more than he did. He really just did Muppet movie in this one. And like, but those are the ones I remember all the songs from. So I want to just for a quick second here, in terms of the casting, I think there's a there's a phenomenal bit of casting, which is that they originally wanted Jack Lemon to play Scrooge, but Jack <laughs> Lemon wanted to play Kermit. That's awesome. He wanted to play Cratchit? <laughs> I, Kermit. I think he wanted to do the voice of Kermit. And producers were like, you're crazy. Oh, because we're Kermit now, away. yeah, they had to find a new Kermit. And Jack Lemon was like, yeah. I think, I'm Jack, here, Lemon, I think Jack Lemon would have made a great Kermit, honestly. <laughs> I think he could have done it. I just think it's great. Uh, I also, you know, you guys have talked about uh, how well directed this film is. And it is very, very well directed and very difficult to do but i also feel like it makes it look easy when some of the effects that they did in this film were pretty groundbreaking and really hard to do like all the ghost stuff they like submerged yeah. muppets in water so that they had this like weird kind of watery vibe to them i mean the the ghost of is it christmas present is fucking terrifying, terrifying. no <laughs> no no christmas past phil you're talking about the the tiny the little ghost one. girl yeah yeah, yeah sorry past, past. yes yeah. sorry oh fucking horrifying yeah. haunts haunts my nightmares <laughs> just like it, it's i also quite frankly think that the third one which is often sort of this oh man kind of grim reapery kind of figure in all the iterations is still also quite upsetting but oh, this man. first one i was just like who this is not for children this is a terrifying oh, creature. You had such a sheltered childhood. Like I just <laughs> no. yeah, maybe I did. You're gonna did like have you watched the the nineteen seventy-three Richard Williams version that I'm making you watch? That's Not gonna, yet. I'm gonna that, watch it tomorrow. That's like that the the ghosts in that, which I saw as a kid, are so Listen, fucked Emily, up. So. I'm scared to watch a lot of things that we have to watch. I'm scared to watch Hellraiser three for this podcast. Listen, so uh, I mean, there's a lot of things oh, that I'm that I'm worried about. Um, but right, one of yeah. the ideas initially was uh, Gonzo was going to be the ghost of Christmas. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, the Muppets um, were going to be the ghosts. Apparently. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they. Uh, and then they slowly got rid of the idea of Piggy being the ghost of Christmas past and whoever it was, probably fuzzy for present. And yeah. Gonzo, they kept right up until the very end. They were considering oh, really? having exactly the same setup as they have now, but just with his nose coming out of the shadow of his his <laughs> I I'm you quite know, pleased they, they didn't. Yeah. Because I thought the yeah. moment where where uh, Gonzo says on the arrival he's peering out they're peering out through the church door and he's like this is too much this is too scary we'll see you at the finale <laughs> and so they're even commenting that yeah this is gonna fuck all of your kids up yeah but it's also I... letting when i was a kid watching that it made me feel okay for being scared yeah i was not Brilliant. embarrassed about as a kid, I was a real scaredy cat. I was sh I was uh, media sheltered to an extent. Sounds like 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 Phil was, uh -huh. and I like uh, Large Marge in oh, Huey's yeah. Big Adventure. Fucking, I terrified. terrified me. I went behind the couch for thirty minutes. I wouldn't come out. Like it yeah. was. I was real, but that bit 
And that's a really lovely, and that's to your to your point, Tom. There is a wonderful, unique uh, uh, sincerity and lack of cynicism to the Muppets, while while not being um, simplistic or childish. Uh, and and it's like the Peanuts. It's they, they were able to hit that mark, Schultz and Henson, in a way that few others have been able to. But I really appreciated that as a little kid. When they said, uh, this is too scary, we're going to see you later, I felt like, okay, this is scary. They're acknowledging this is scary. i do not embarrassed for being scared of this. And yeah. that was really a lovely, a lovely thing, I think, to put in the movie. That's another quality I think the Muppets had in the late 70s, early 80s that other things did in that fourth wall breaking. Yeah. But now everybody right. does. So now it just doesn't feel as cool. But that was kind of part of the anarchy of totally. it all. Yeah. I, I think that the, like, first of all, I think that makes total sense um clay in terms of giving you permission to be scared and yeah. giving you per- like that's part of the fourth wall breakage too of like acknowledging that their audience is there and how they're feeling is also part of i mean that that's the variety show angle too right which is just sort of the constant acknowledgement that there's an audience there i think that that theatricality to your point to, to everyone's point is also something that makes them feel like a bit of a relic because it doesn't feel like we have the same sort of unbridled theatricality that we were allowed to have, you know, say 20 years ago or so, uh, which I think is maybe even more than that, I think is interesting. Um, I also agree with you, Tom, that had the Muppets been cast as the, the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future, um, they need to be scary, right? Like you need to feel the gravity of these, of their presence in order for you to buy into Scrooge's art, right? Because, like, if... Sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. No, please. That's that's pretty much done. Yeah. We have come to the gist of my issue with Muppet Christmas Carol, (laughs) which is, again, I have to admit, this is a very stupid criticism. I am not a fangirl about anything. I'm a fangirl about Peanuts, but, like... Excuse me? No, sir. like, Like, here's the thing. I, when I say fangirl, I mean like uncritical, where I want things okay. like I get very okay. upset if things aren't my vision in my I head, know. like some sure, people yeah. are with like Superman or Batman. Mm-hmm. And I'm 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 a huge fan of Peanuts, but even like when they do new things, like in the Peanuts movie, which you know in many ways makes huge shifts with the characters, I I thought it was fine. I apparently am a huge fangirl for A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, this. Uh, so what I want is I want it to be all like if you have beloved characters doing it, I want them to play all the roles. Except I do think it's fine to have nice. Scrooge be someone, and if it's uh, otherwise, I want it to be kind of scary. And like Muppet Christmas Carol uneasily straddles that line for me in a way that I think is all is so personal to me and like not worth caring about because clearly this is way better than Mickey's Christmas Carol. But Mickey's Christmas Carol to me is like the platonic ideal of we've got this huge cast of like characters who are going to play all the roles. And I think that does make the ghost of Christmas yet to come still pretty scary uh, because, you know, he's still a shrouded figure. Um, But that said, I was I was talking about this with my wife, and the problem is when you do it with a bunch of characters is you need somebody who can do sincerity to play Bob Cratchit. Kermit can play Bob Cratchit. Sure. Mickey Mouse can play Bob Cratchit. We were saying, what's the thing that you could do this with now? And we came up with Nintendo characters, but I don't want to see Mario play Bob Cratchit. That would be so bad. So like, you, are you sure you don't want to see that? Uh, <laughs> it's a tiny Tim. Oh my gosh, you're going to die. I love Actually, no. That's good. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so Emily, we did uh 
did we do Mickey's Christmas Carol? I don't know. We did, Mickey, we did Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. Mickey's Christmas Once Carol comes Christmas. out in 83. And I, okay. did, I rewatched both it and Muppet Christmas Carol for uh, Peter at Vox, where I talked to a six-year-old about both of them. No, a five-year-old <laughs> about both of them. And she had many trenchant observations that I enjoyed and appreciated. Um, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, like, like I, I, at that time I like had it deflated me how much worse Mickey's Christmas Carol was than Muppet Christmas Carol. Cause I'd been saying the reverse, but it was just cause of when I grew up, if I right. had grown up with Muppet Christmas Carol in the way I did Mickey's Christmas Carol, I might feel the exact opposite. I might be like, because like the Looney Tunes version of that, nobody watches anymore because it's bad. You can't like Bob Bugs Bunny as Bob Cratchit doesn't work. The Flintstones version is bad. Right. Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol like works, but nobody watches that because nobody fucking remembers who Gerald McBoing was. What about uh, was. Patrick Stewart's uh, Christmas Carol? Are you? Kind of... I mean, that's not like I, I don't I don't like, <laughs> like that. I, one, but, that but that's I love like Jean Luc Picard, but that that Patrick Stewart Christmas Carol is he is some of the most buck wild line readings I've ever seen in anything. But like that's, <laughs> that that's on the other side of the ledger where it's like, we're trying to do a straightforward adaptation. Right. Mama Christmas Carol is like the one that tries to do both. And like, I, I think that that is a bold creative choice that I would appreciate more if I weren't a whiny little baby. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, was there, am I mistaken? Was there not a recent FX Christmas Carol? Yes. Did I make this it's up? It's not good. It's, was it was a, yeah, Guy Pierce. Yeah. Who was it? And it was a series, think, right? It was like a limited. Yeah, it was Guy Pierce, I think. It's and the Peaky Blinders guy. It was Blinders guy wrote it. <laughs> Hold on. No, I'm like oh, Stephen Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It was Guy Pierce yes, was Scrooge. You're right. Yes. Joe Alwyn was Bob Cratchit. Good for him. Oh. Uh, okay. Andy Circus was the Ghost of Christmas Past, I believe. Yeah. It was. It was a. Yeah. They tried to do it as a limited. Um. It was, yeah. Apparently, I, it's, I, I have not seen that. this, but I had a drink with our mutual friend Brian Cogman the other night, and mm-hmm. he was red in the face telling me about how horrible and disgusting this thing is. Uh, can't wait to check it out. <laughs> he was I, beside himself. So, um, so can, I, can we all agree that Fozzie is our greatest living comedian, like stand-up comedian? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fozzie, yeah, who doesn't sure. get enough to do in this movie. I love Fozzie. No, but there was one moment. It was Fozzie's entrance. Because... Yes, sure. So... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What I love about this, more even than anything, uh, any other Muppet iteration that I've seen, mm-hmm. is 
uh, Muppets and humans interacting. Mm-hmm. It's completely, so they're all there, but also animals. So you'll get Muppet horses and real horses. Everything is blended. And yeah. then Fozzie comes in with uh, the girl who Scrooge falls in love with. And he said, this is a friend of the, the Fuzzywig family. And my first thought on watching it now was, do Muppets and humans... Fornicate? Yeah, okay, we'll put it like that. Yeah. Do they shag in this world? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, Fuzzy's definitely getting it on. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. With So Scrooge is getting sloppy seconds with Bell, it's, is that what I you're mean, saying? <laughs> There is a Mrs. Fozzywig, but you know what? I th- that's true. I think that, but Fozzie- it's his mother. Oh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's played by. Fozzie's or does he mom. just call her Ma because old he just calls people her used to call each other Ma? And oh yeah, it's the, mother well, it's like Pence. It's Mike like Pence. my Pence calling yeah, his wife mother. <laughs> <laughs> so they own a rubber chicken factory, which I think is inspired. <laughs> Love it. Chickens. I brilliant. just think that, like, and I understand why. First of all, you know, less is more probably when it comes to running time on movies with kids just because their attention spans are short and all of that. And I get why this movie is short also because, like, I imagine it's an impossible feat to make these productions. But there is a part of me that feels like I just kind of wanted a little bit more with some of the, like, you know, heavy hitters that they have on their bench. Again, this is nitpicky because I think that ultimately they made the right choices in terms of not using them for Ghost of Christmas Past or for the you know various ghosts. Um, okay, so let's let's. But that's the issue into... you run into once you have a, a cast of characters that large that's so so beloved. For sure, you're going to have mm-hmm. that criticism with anything they do if you have favorites and they don't get mm-hmm. as much screen time in certain things. I feel one tidbit. Uh, you'll you'll enjoy this. You'll you'll probably all enjoy this. Uh, uh, to your point about what a difficult production these are, and to again wh- how what kind of a mad genius Jim Henson was uh, when you do this thing, this, this um, puppet up show at the Henson thing, if you get the VIP ticket or whatever, it includes uh, a tour of the studio and it, and that ends with going into Brian Henson's office with your little group and Brian Henson holds court for 10 or 15 minutes. And he just answers questions, talks about things, shows you different things in his office. And he's got this big uh, piece of furniture and on it is all of the slates, all of the like final slates from uh, his dad's three Muppet movies and then his two Muppet movies. And the thing he points out is that uh, it has, you know, like the number of set of uh, setups that they did, you know, throughout the thing. and all three of Jim Henson's slates from the his three Muppet movies, the number of setups are all within like two or three of each other. He did all three of those movies with almost identical numbers of setups. And then Brian Henson's are very varying, but also have like a thousand more setups. Like Jim Henson just knew exactly in his head every single thing he needed and just did it, did it, did it, did it, and made these things. And and Brian Henson's was like, he's like, I I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. It's far more difficult for me. I think it's that. I do do think, Phil, that to your point, the genius, the one thing that Mickey's Christmas Carol does well that this doesn't is it it knows who your favorites are and it spaces them out in parts Uh where Goofy's Marley, Mickey's Bob, Donald is Fred. You're going to see them a few times throughout, like, except Marley, who only is in the one scene. And like, I do think, 
I honestly do think having Statler and Waldorf as Marley throws this off a little bit in a weird way. Like if you had a specific Marley, like I love them as Marley. Marley and Marley is my favorite song, which nobody oh, asked me, but now I'm telling oh, interesting. you. Yeah, but yeah. like, I do it's think so like it, it skews expectations in a weird way, at least for me, oh. a, a Christmas Carol and Muppet pedant, apparently. So I, I, I want to kind of dive into this young Scrooge and Bell situation for a second here, because I feel like this is the aforementioned, song that was cut from this movie which right. is what's the name of it when, when love, love is gone. gone when love is gone um <laughs> I, my apologies uh that i didn't know that uh I, this you prick so it it's i don't agree with uh i believe it was uh katzenberg who said cut this song right that was, he, was the, like... the 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 lore is yeah and this song is not in the the proper this is not in the theatrical right. release not in the vhs you have on your it is on, on the your... vhs yeah. that is the first oh, time oh. that's how it was so it was not in the movie it was not in when people saw it in the theaters theatrical. when tom saw it in the cinema in 1992 this song was not in it sure. when they okay. put it out on vhs they put it back in back. so everybody okay. who grew up with that you know with the vhs when I bought that DVD in 2001, 2002, whenever the DVD came out, I'm assuming Tom kind of alluded to having the same experience. They skip over this song. I was thought I was having, like, I, was, I didn't know. I thought I was having like a, a some sort of like a medical issue. I was like, wait, what, what is happening? And it re- 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 rewound it. And I was like, what is going on? And uh, yeah, they took it back, back out for that. So for years, once I switched to DVD, yeah, I would watch the movie, pause it, Oh my god! To, Go to the extra to get to get back to the to the menu on this DVD, you had to take the disc out and put it back in. So I would take the disc out, put it back in, reload everything. It has this infuriating mid two thousands menu, and everyone's like, you know what people want is when you put the DVD in, you have to watch three minutes of some yeah. bullshit before it lets you click on anything yeah. Yeah. and it's kermit going like mm-hmm. oh hi welcome to the mobile. and like just yeah. and then you have to go to the special features <laughs> and watch the song oh and then take the disc back out and put it back oh in and go back Christ to the because i refuse to I, watch this movie without that song that is the I linchpin of the emotional re- arc in this movie i have so much respect for that so much Can i ask a question my wife, just, my wife um uh stopped watching the film when they cut that when it went to dvd she was like where's the song gone yeah well, she is a very sad child would sing that song on repeat <laughs> i love this so much uh, I love this song. <laughs> what what go ahead uh, my question but, is but it's really important because oh the very final song is when love is found it's a reprise of something that doesn't exist in the movie. So, I don't wasn't, agree. I don't disagree with you guys, but I do have a question. Okay? I understand I just, that. For, I, I just want to clarify that for a long time, the issue was that they didn't have an HD enough master of it, so they couldn't do it right. on the DVD. And then there they a, found it and like re remastered yeah, it. Yeah, for so. years there was a movement. There was a I, from the time I joined Twitter in 2009 or whatever. It seemed like every Christmas time there was this very vocal, ever growing movement of where is love is gone put love is gone back in the movie every time anybody interviewed brian henson they'd say oh by the way can we get love is gone back in the muppet christmas carol and society just hounded them for so long that they finally yeah their story was they couldn't find the footage and then like two years ago or three years ago they found it and they finally uh remastered it and put it back in the movie uh on disney plus but yeah it's it was this thing strange. that for some reason society felt 
like Tom and I, very strongly about this. I guess my question is like uh, two questions. The first is, why do they care? Like, is this Katzenberg still like is a test audience? They thought it would be boring for kids. Yeah. No, boring. no, no. I, I mean, everyone wants this fucking song in. Put the fucking song in. Like, just put it back in. Like, why is this? Well, that's issue? why they put it in the tape. You know, because at that point he was like, well, what does it fucking matter now? But no, he was it was a test audience thing. And he looked around during that song, an 85 second song. (laughs) And he looked around and some kid was like looking at the ceiling or, you know, picking his nose. He's like, oh, God, this is going to ruin the mood. But Katzenberg also had terrible instincts. He tried to cut part of your world or something from The Little Mermaid. He was a... (laughs) An unreliable like he got, he got force. He got steamrolled by Musker and Clements on Little Mermaid, but Brian Henson yep. didn't have a similar level of, yeah. of power. Um, yeah. I will say, I had never yeah. seen this movie with that song until I watched it this year. I don't think you need it. I love it. It's a good song. I think the oh, movie no. works without it. Oh, no. I think the movie works without it. Hot takes from Emily. So, okay. You know what? I don't think it's, I think it's a marginally better movie having, having it in there. I don't think it's a significantly sure. worse one without it. But you know what you lose, Emily? Even if you think uh, story-wise or emotional arc-wise, it's not absolutely necessary, which is we disagree on that, but I'll grant you that. What you lose when you cut that song out is some of the most heartbreaking acting Michael Caine has ever done. Sure, sure, sure. When he walks up behind Belle and he is singing along with her and his voice breaks, and that is... If they had left that in the movie, Michael Caine uh, nominated for an Oscar that year. That I is would, that is yeah. some of the most affecting. And I'm only I'm Phil's face. I am, you know, partially kidding. But his Michael Caine's I'm, performance in I'm that is you. just unreal. I'm with you. I think this is his best performance of his career. He, well, okay, so yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on that. that. He uh he would have bumped uh Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman. We would have had a much better oh, no. reality. <laughs> okay, so he, that's the, that was going to be my question. Of the five nominees, who gets bumped? Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman, Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven, Stephen Ray for The Crying Game, or Denzel Washington you know, for Malcolm No, it's, it's, it's definitely oh. Robert Downey Jr., but I'm terrified it's Denzel. Like, I, because those are, the, <laughs> those are the two guys from movies the Academy didn't embrace. Wrongly in the case. Actually, no, Chaplin got several nominations. It's probably yeah. Denzel, which is fucking terrifying. You don't think it's Stephen Ray? Yeah, my, no, Crying Game was Ray. huge. Remember, Crying it got Ray, so yeah. many yeah, nominations. Denzel was a big, 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 big star. Denzel was a big, 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 big star. Like people loved that performance, Oscar. but people were mad at that movie because Spike Lee. They were mad at Spike Lee for yeah, you know yeah. saying Which accurate things thing. about race in America. So I, th- so to to get back to your hot take for a second here, Emily, because I do think that. My issue with when love is gone, all right, here we is go. less to is less to do with the character, the arc, and the acting. It has to do with the song, which feels like they shoehorned like a Les Mis song into this movie that just doesn't. My kind wife of, loves Les Mis. This yeah, Les I Mis, love Les Mis a show too. with not, great songs. I'm all right, all right. <laughs> yes, I love Les Mis, but it tonally feels just kind of odd again i'm i i like the song i think the song it it works fine i obviously agree with emily in the sense that like it's better that it's in there than not but i do sort of feel like it's a little tonally strange also also and this you know is a slightly more it's an academic thing because it's not to do with the story it's to do with history but this is the first thing the muppets did without jim henson 
and that's right. the most perfect song for yeah. and it's partly why it breaks my heart is got a Muppet film and they're talking about the singing about the death of Jim Henson. You're a stone cold hearted. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think about that, Emily? That it's about Jim Henson. No, listen, listen, Phil's lamest slander, Phil's lamest slander and Tom's Jim Henson voice have brought me around on this. It's the film needs it. It's (laughs) impossible to imagine it without it. And I'm so glad that I finally seen it. I do think I do agree to speaking to the larger musical point. It is nice to have it serve as a counterpoint to the reprise. So God, um, yeah. And I think I do. I think- love Les Mis. I was in Les Mis at summer camp. I was Jean Valjean. I love Les Mis. I'm not I slandering. I would you. love to see you as Jean Valjean. I would. <laughs> there is video of it that will never be seen. Put it on YouTube, Phil's uh, mom. But Phil, that's what. Again, we keep talking about what's special about the Muppets, and it's that they are attempting this thing that uh, doesn't totally work for Emily, but I think is is very unique that they are not afraid to throw in this purely. Mm-hmm sentimental sad thing that maybe the kids will lose interest for 80 seconds maybe Whoa. there's kids out there who hit the fast forward button because they were impatient but i think it it makes it it makes it an undeniably i think richer experience and i think part of that tonal you know inconsistency is the wrong word but that sort of odd mixture of tones and things is that's that's at the core of what the Muppets are doing. I think you look at you watch uh, Emmett Otter's Christmas, which Henson so good, you know. It, 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 but that that Henson made that that's Christmas. That thing is deeply melancholic. There, you want to talk yeah. about weird songs to have in a Muppet thing? Watch Emmett Otter's Christmas. There's full on Les Mis style, no jokes sure. in it at all, sentimental songs. You know, I think that was that was. I think that is kind of carrying over part of the Jim Henson. Uh, energy in into this sure. movie. Uh, I I want to be clear that the only reason I have this feeling about the Muppet Christmas Carol is that I watched Mickey's Christmas Carol at an impressionable age, and therefore my brain was irreparably warped by it. In some ways, <laughs> only being allowed to consume evangelical Christian culture as a child was the best thing that ever happened to me because I have <laughs> no like fe- strong feelings about like the way star wars should be i'm just like yeah seems fine do whatever you like but for cr- fucking christmas carol it better have mickey mouse in it that's the way dickens <laughs> as dickens intended yeah. i so the the christmas scat i kind of love that the song that's just like them just mm-hmm. like scatting mm-hmm. is great follow um that that shot of kermit walking on with um tiny tim on his shoulder uh, was the hardest shot of all, and I, I read something. It took like thirty people to operate Kermit and Robin. Yeah, because it's on. It's like a rolling the, thing. The barrel that it's on. Yeah. yeah. Um. You. So you brought up you brought up Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim breaks my fucking heart, oh. and I'll tell you why. The sickly color green that Tiny Tim is <laughs> absolutely crushes me. My and son I love... insists that he has the plague. <laughs> <laughs> he won't. He's, does he not have like about. tuberculosis or what is he supposed to have in a Christmas? Oh, he's carol? riddled. I did. <laughs> I did look it up. What yeah. Tiny Tim has, and there's uh, there's a long list. He's not well. <laughs> he is such. He's the saddest Muppet that's ever been, and the but, fact that they but, don't even fix his coloring for the guaranteed, end, just... guaranteed. Every single time I watch it. For the last 30 years, 
when he coughs, I absolutely piss myself. Oh. It's the funniest thing <laughs> in the entire film. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It's, also it's perfect. wonderful. One but... of the greatest lines and line deliveries in all of cinema is when Gonzo says, and Tiny Tim, who did, did not, not die. die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, f- I absolutely love that. It's so Every good. Uh, it's phenomenal. I, I really think that, and maybe this is just me being overly sentimental, but I think that all this stuff with this family, and obviously this is sort of the beating heart of this story, and you're supposed to have all these feelings about this family. The casting of Kermit and Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Jesus Christ, you got in my head. Uh, uh, Miss Piggy, really... Kermit and Mickey Mouse as gay dads is (laughs) such a good proposal, Phil. Pitch it. It, uh, (laughs) I mean, I would watch it. But I, I just feel like it makes it so much more emotionally potent to have those them be sort of the parents of this family. And it, it, it really, as much as I complained earlier or, or had slight reser- reservations about them not being more prominent in the movie, when they are on screen and when you are with this family and you've got yeah. Tiny Tim and all of it, you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like, you've this got shit decades of hard. love and goodwill yeah. coming right. with yeah. it. And it's such a fun thing to see. It's this like alternate reality kind of thing where Piggy and Kermit, like their characters, they have this, their romance is so tumultuous and goofy yes. and he's always trying to get away and then she gets him back or she's, it, it's always, it's so, uh, uh, you, d- you get to see here, what if yeah. Piggy and Kermit settled down and they were a loving, supporting, uh, you know, married couple with, with children who have each other's backs? It, and it's like, it's, it's a shame that the kids lovely. aren't monstrous frog pig hybrids. There's <laughs> a missed opportunity. Or maybe that's why Tiny Tim's, that's what's wrong with him. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, some, yeah, it's like a it's genetic. Species, that's yeah. interesting. He's mutating. I, is, <laughs> is Robin, who plays Tiny Tim, the worst Muppet? Yes. The answer is yeah. yes. What? Yeah. Based yes. on what? <laughs> I mean, I, I have a long-standing grudge against Robin from other Muppet productions, <laughs> but I don't like Robin. I don't like Robin. I think he needs to go away. <laughs> How could you have a grudge against this Muppet? He's the scrappy-doo of the Muppets. Get rid of him. Throw him out the oh. door. Throw him uh-huh. out. All right. I, I, I mean, feel... I do like that we get a little bit of Miss Piggy's sass. Yeah, she's ready oh. to fight someone. Oh, at yeah. the end when she's like, "I'm gonna raise you right up off the pavement." I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. So it is. It is wonderful that we are covering the year 1992 because uh, I, I, I don't like Tiny Tim as a character. There, I said it. I feel like he's just pushing the sentiment. <laughs> like in the original book, like this is just a he's pushing the sentimentality he's a little too far. Flipping through this her bird book, man, <laughs> you're, you're fucking killing like uh, the, sacred clams. But here. listen, listen, uh, this. Year 1992 is when there is suddenly a beef war in the Journal of Infectious Diseases about what exactly Tiny Tim had. The first proposal is renal tubular acidosis, a type of kidney failure. Then someone proposes rickets. And in 1997, someone finally wrote about how uh, he obviously had tuberculosis spondylitis or TB of the spine. And like this is this is what people were doing in the 90s. They were having beef wars about. Fictional but, illnesses. And now, All 2023, it's officially plague. Yeah. And it's plague. Yes, yes, all, yeah. all four of those things that can be healed by mm-hmm. your father's employer being nice to you. 
Right. Do you think this is why the United States has terrible employer-based health insurance? People just it's read rude. Christmas Carol and yeah. like took that out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. My, um, my, my son also said uh, he's eight. And the other day we were talking, we were working out which Christmas films we're going to watch when in the run-up to Christmas. Sure, right. And Muppet Christmas Carol is always the, the last one we watch the, the okay. day before Christmas Eve, always. And uh, he was talking about Tiny Tim with the plague. And he said, you know what my problem is with Tiny Tim? Fuck yeah. <laughs> he will not shut up yeah. about how brilliant everything is. <laughs> and with my son's exact words, eight years old. I mean, Tim, open your eyes. <laughs> the saint, not wrong. Be realistic. Yeah. The saintly dying child is just this element of Victorian literature that I think inevitably marks it as Victorian literature. And like, I think uh, Dickens was a, a crazy genius, but he would sometimes be like, here's a poor person who's a saint. Therefore, shouldn't they deserve to live? And be like, I mean, but also like, a lot of the poor people who aren't saints also deserve to live, Char- Charlie. So, <laughs> right, but Charlie it also serves Dickens. as a as 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 a lesson, as a counterpoint to uh, Scrooge, mm-hmm. who mm. is rich and has everything, and is miserable and sees no goodness in life and everything, uh, but saying, "Look at this little sickly child who's afflicted with TB and the plague, and those two and other rickets. things." Emily said yeah, that and I rickets. rickets. Yeah. And, and rickets, and then the first one, but that that person with nothing. Yeah. Is able to uh, to see goodness and 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 light in the world, and of course, every part of this is built to be a lesson for Scrooge. Um, sure, but I think that that's it's beautiful. It works. It is it beautiful. Works on me, guys. It really, I'm, it really wrapped works. up in the spirit. I, it really does. Once you get into the Kermit and the 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 Cratchit family or what have you. It it really does kind of take the film to the next level for me. Not to say that I didn't like it prior to that, but that's when it really got its hooks in me. You were hiding behind the couch from the Ghost of Christmas Past, is what you were doing. Yeah, so you for didn't sure. See it. Yeah. And maybe I'm a sucker for for <clears throat> Tiny Tim slash Robin. Um, you know, maybe that's what this is. But um, I also love uh, the the Spider Muppet. I don't know uh, their name, yeah. um, but that song's great, and he's just great, or she. I'm not sure. They. Uh, that's okay. They. Yeah. They. Yeah. I, they're gender yeah. queer. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, we'll talk about this. How this, where this falls on on the on the queer phobia scale. I'm very curious yeah. to see where this falls on that. Um, I, I think that uh, Kane in the cemetery is amazing. I mean, he really is bringing all of his tools to this movie. I, it's I, pretty incredible. He's my second favorite Scrooge after Alistair Sim. It's either him or George C. Scott. I think they're both brilliant in the role. I want to ask Tom this question. Scrooge is a role that if you are uh, have a British accent, you will probably be asked to play at some point in your life. How do you approach roles like that that have been like played a kajillion times and people have very firm ideas of what they should be? Well, you just forget, fuck everyone else and forget everything that's happened before. But what what's particularly brilliant about Kane's version is when he has so much fun being mean at the beginning. Yeah. Scrooge. Like, he enjoys taking the piss out of um, uh, Honeydew and Beaker, and he enjoys tormenting the rats who work 
for him. He makes jokes at them and he allows Scrooge to smile and to laugh at his own cruelty, which I can't remember other Scrooges doing that. And it just brings, it makes him so much more human that he's not just the bad guy, the bad Scrooge guy. Yeah. And I think that's where so many people go wrong when they're playing any kind of baddie, is that you're allowed to kind of enjoy it. I think his the thing that is really great about him is you see how his enjoyment of being bad and his enjoyment of being good are just two sides of the same coin. He's the same guy. He's just like flipped some switch inside himself. And now he's yeah. going to get great delight out of being just a joyful presence. And before he got great delight out of being a scornful presence, and I, I do think that's such a great take on the character. Yeah, he he enjoys the meanness. He grows to enjoy the the joy. But the one thing that he can't deal with and the one thing that his Scrooge is desperately trying to hide is the sadness. And so that's what the, uh, the that's why when love is gone is so important, Emily. Uh, <laughs> I'm on your side now. It's still, it's still who hates that the, and lame is. Yeah, go ahead. That, yeah. That's when he really uh, discovers this deep well of sadness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Henson does such a good job of conveying that stylistically as well. I think the first yeah. 20 minutes of this, I mean, the whole thing is beautiful. The first 20 minutes of this movie, the way and the way he shoots Scrooge's home is oh so cinematic. It is so dark. It is. I think it's especially for a children's movie, really bold. It always unsettled me as a child, not just in how cold and dark and gothic it is but the way he frames the loneliness the the when the way his sitting room is designed with the one chair no furniture except for the one chair in front of the fireplace and he does this like low wide angle shot that isolates scrooge in 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 everything in this and uh and the emptiness of his apartment reflecting the emptiness of his life it's just i think it's 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 really really smart uh it really direction it made me, um, it really stood out when I watched it this uh, a few days ago because those scenes suddenly reminded me of uh, The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers' Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. But this is a kid's film. Yeah. And so you're yeah. doing, taking everything, the darkness of that film, you can find 30 years ago in a kid's film. And then, however many years maths years before that in the cabinet of dr caligari and things like sure 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 and i would sincerely put these scenes on a par with with that and then just really exquisite stuff like the arrival of the ghost of christmas past being this really bright blinding light behind his uh the curtains of his four-poster bed oh everything is just so it it completely elevates it because it's not what you'd expect from a, a kids film or b a muppet film or c any kind of dickensing yeah. the one thing that we have so many of is dickens adaptations i don't know how many of them get over your side but the bbc just relentless dickens mm-hmm. adaptations and this is this stands out even amongst those. Oh, it stands, and the, God, just, yeah, I, I can't, I always go back to that opening song, the, the Scrooge song. What is that? It's actually just called Scrooge. Scrooge. Yeah, it's called there Scrooge. There goes Mr. Humbug, right? There goes Mr. Yeah. Humbug. Introducing 
what a brilliant way to introduce the character and obviously the 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 town talks about the main character is a is a trope in 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 musicals to introduce somebody but introducing the setting the period the there's something so tactile and so evocative about the close-ups i love they just stay on his feet and the close-ups of the cane hitting the cobblestones and making that ding 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 and it's just like it's I, i think it's something that when you're not making a muppet movie maybe you're not thinking about as much if you're doing an adaptation of this that is kind of more straightforward, but focusing on how like wet and dirty and stone and cold everything is in this town. Like the, those tactile details uh, are really, those really sets. rich in the opening of this movie. Those sets are just Ugh. so perfect. And I, I really do think that opening shot coming across the rooftops Great shot. and Great then, shot. you know, <laughs> seamlessly going down into the, the yeah. square. That model is gigantic. That model was the size of a soundstage. I love it. And it and it bookends the movie, right? Like you're going in and then you go back out. I mean, and speaking of uh, the end, which it, it's a little bit of a trope, I guess, to some degree of Muppet things, but like getting to see all the Muppets together yeah. in the house is just, I don't know about you guys, but like every time I see this massive cast of characters in one space together, it's just hard for, like, it just has to warm your heart. Yeah. There's yeah. just something so lovely about it and you really do feel that they're like a family and this troop of characters that are all sort of bound by this thing that they do i just absolutely adore um i wanted to bring up one other thing i'd be remiss if i didn't uh bring it up because um it's a it's a patreon episode that that is coming out or maybe might be out by this point um have you guys seen the doctor who christmas carol with michael gambon is this something that you guys have seen by any chance no i have i don't remember anything about it but i have um, I did a, a Christmas episode on the Patreon of uh, with with Liz Hannah and her husband. He picked this Doctor Who episode with Matt Smith and Michael Gambon, which is sort of a, a, a Christmas Carol episode. And uh, Liz Hannah picked, obviously, uh, the Christmas episode of Studio 60. Um, but uh, <laughs> everyone's favorite Christmas episode. Um, but I bring it up just to say that, and Tom, I know you're the biggest Doctor Who fan. I know that's your favorite. That's your favorite thing. Um, if you could see Tom's face right now, he, he doesn't, for our listeners, like Dr. <laughs> um, yes, Tom? I don't dislike Dr. No? You don't it like? It depends okay. on, on the who. On the doctor? Sure. Um, I, so all this being said, Michael Gambin does, has a really kind of great, Scrooge right like as you can imagine Michael Gambon was a tremendous actor and he's bringing a lot of really interesting energy to it and it's I mean it's Doctor Who so it's like this potpourri of like sci-fi and all these weird things mixed into it in order to kind of do what Doctor Who does but um, it does feel and this kind of alludes to Emily's question to you Tom in terms of how Ebenezer Scrooge is this staple of British actors right this this idea Mm -hmm. that um Kane's your favorite? Is that is this is your favorite iteration of, of Scrooge? Are there I, others I, I, that I, I jump Alistair out at you? Sim. Or? Okay, Alistair Sim. Okay. Although hard to touch. Also, um, Finney. I liked Finney's as well. Interesting. Okay. Sim is Sim is my favorite. Um yeah. I ranked like 18 Scrooges once yeah. at Vox, so go find that. <laughs> I Have remember fun. that. Yeah. Scrooge is ranked. Yeah. It's the, it's the, the ultimate article. Scrooge ranking. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, it's it's just interesting to me that um it feels like this bearing wall of a role that that don't have a ton of differences like they all just sort of alluding to what you were saying emily that they're all kind of indebted to the alistair sim performance yeah. Um, even, also, and I think Kane's great in this, but I'm just, I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's, it, that's, someone mentioned Shakespeare earlier, and that is mm. the difference between Dickens' characters and Shakespeare's characters, is uh, Dickens didn't make them quite so ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot that you have to do, whereas Shakespeare, you can have a thousand Hamlets and they'd all be completely different. Because, right, right. You know, he wrote with such ambiguity. Yeah. Um, um thoughts on the movie scrooged fans not fans don't like oh, it. oh wow just a lot of thumb okay so thumbs down i like do not care for it yeah it's, okay it's i don't want to say it's actively awful but like i don't like it i think if it doesn't have huh. bill murray in the lead it's actively awful yeah. i think bill murray makes it watchable otherwise yeah. i find it really okay. unfunny and off-putting and uh <laughs> mean and I don't. I it don't is off putting and mean. I will give you. I that. hate. I, I, yeah. I also hate anytime someone is like, I feel like I'm in the Christmas Carol and they're just literally doing a Christmas Carol. No, you're just say, I'm in a fucking Christmas Carol. What's happening to me? I don't know. It just. I know that's right. I, it's the only reason I ask the question. Have you seen it, Tom? Are you a fan of Yeah. No. Yeah. No, I'm just saying. I, <laughs> <mine. laughs> <laughs> I weirdly. I remember seeing Scrooge in the theater. I believe my mom took me to see it. Um, and it weirdly has this kind of in my DNA Christmas. Associated. I mean, I don't, I don't, ha- I don't watch a ton of Christmas movies, but this one weirdly, I don't know why I have an affinity for it merely for probably nostalgia reasons. Cause I've watched it relatively recently. And I agree with the assessment that like, it's kind of a mess. Like I like Carol Kane in it. And I like some, you know what I mean? Some of the various kind of uh, character actors that pop up and like Bill Murray's just doing Bill Murray. But it's also like a very strange Richard Donner energy to it too. That's like, it's just a very odd movie. Well, apparently the story, yeah, there's that Murray wanted to do it a little more sincere and kind of lean into the Christmas of it. And Donner wanted it to be manic and absurd, which which makes sense. I'm fascinated by how often the Christmas stories we love are riffing on Christmas Carol. To the degree, sure. it's usually just like this person is out of step with the season. Charlie Brown Christmas is not really a Christmas Carol, but Charlie Brown not quite getting the Christmas season is like the spine of that. Similarly, It's a Wonderful Life is in that that vein. And I think like one of the things that makes that so effective is, you know, um, it, it, this is a time when we're all supposed to feel happy and none of us do. And like right. it, it's yeah. it's un- exploiting like I mean, I feel very happy watching my kid open presents and things like that. But like there is sure. that little kernel of like, oh, it's this is another year gone. This is another year in my life that's passed. I'm heading on the way toward death. Wonderful. Happy Christmas. And like, I think that this story, <laughs> this story is about that inherent contradiction. And sure. any time a Christmas story ex- explores that. It's it's good, and anytime it's not, it's on very shaky ground. Like even fucking Gremlins does this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a classic, a Christmas classic, Christmas um, classic. But it also wasn't the original story. wasn't uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol one of those pieces of media that sort of invented the yeah. what we think of as the modern way we celebrate and talk about and think about 
the Christmas holiday. Yeah. Our our modern conception of Christmas is very driven by two periods of time, which is 1840s London and 1940s America. And like yeah. that's basically all our Christmas culture comes from those two right. eras. Like Dickens and the Coca-Cola Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but also like people, Sounds great. also what? people being sad about World War II and not having right. the boys home. So like a lot of our classic Christmas songs are from the 40s. But like our conception right. of a snowy cityscape is very Dickens. Hmm. So just to, to sort of piggyback on this, because, again, uh, Jewish don't know a ton about Christmas, but I do sort of feel like the aesthetic that you just outlaid, Emily, is also I mean, where does that aesthetic come from? Like, do you sort of know what I'm talking about? Like, the when, when you think of Christmas, you're thinking of a sort of very specific types of drawings and, like, all that kind of well, stuff. Well, Phil, when we do the Richard Williams Christmas Carol, you'll see, because that is right. specifically done okay. in the woodcutting style of the illustrations from right. Dickens' book. And A Christmas yeah. Carol, unlike a, some of Dickens' work, was an immediate sensation. It sold out everything. Okay. People fucking okay. loved it. It, like, yeah, it it is... Um, I think it's it's probably the most famous Christmas story, surpassing even the one where you know Jesus is born. So, you know, yeah. the one where <laughs> that one. But also, at the same time, uh, that's when Prince Albert brought all of the old Bavarian approach yeah. oh. to Christmas to England. Yeah, there's a really wanted wanted it to you know wanted some of his influence. And that's what then Dickens picked up on and created the the English Germanic Christmas that spread. You mean the Brits co-opted other people's culture? Weird. Yeah. Right. It's weird. It's weird. It's there's really uh there's a really fascinating book by I believe his name is Stephen Nissenbaum. It's called uh, The War on Christmas, which is mm. basically Christmas had nearly been exterminated by the time of Dickens because mm. it was a holiday of people getting super drunk and breaking into rich people's homes. Like literally, that's what it had become. <laughs> like the purge. And so, like, what happens is, like, in the late in the late 1700s, Washington Irving, an American writer, writes this totally made up thing I'm, about. I'm like, aware of his work about like this British. You've heard of Washington Irving? Yeah, I know. Like he writes he writes this totally bullshit thing about an old a Christmas back at home, and it's like this made up British family Christmas. And then people start taking that and running with it. And Dickens is the one who's like, "This is a holiday for being with your family. This is a holiday for taking care of the poor." He invents our modern conception of Christmas, which so now we don't get drunk and break into rich people's houses, but maybe we should. Oh, I mean, now I'm just thinking the purge, the purge, purge origins and it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah. 1691. Watch. Yeah, man. We have awesome. these like weird little remnants of that. Like there, there's this group, there's these groups in Philadelphia called the mummers and they go around and sing carols. Caroling is mm. a, a remnant like trick or treating of a time when that was a much more violent tradition. People would come and sing a song, eat you so up. I was thinking about this, Emily. Now we're just spinning off into just completely unrelated Christmas things. But uh, which is the carol where they're singing, bring us some figgy pudding. I wish you a Merry Christmas. Oh, oh wish you, you listen wish to you the Merry lyrics Christmas. of this yeah. song. And most of this song is them saying, bring us some figgy pudding or we're not leaving. Like we're going to yeah. fucking stand outside exactly. your house and sing until you bring us figgy pudding. All these like, old. This is so yeah. aggressive. Oh, these old great. Christmas carols have two messages. One of which is Jesus is here. He's going to save us. And the other of which is give us our fucking presents. You fucking rich give people. Give us our fucking presents. Yeah. I would, be note, a loss. I, I would be furiously Googling like what the hell. It, like wh what is figgy pudding? And they're just out there getting louder and louder. And I'm panicking. Is it like, pudding I don't with have figs any figgy in it? pudding. 
Is it is it pudding with it's, figs? Yeah, in I believe it, it's pudding made a... with figs. Um, I, I don't pretty... have figs at at the ready. What? I'm this... <laughs> I just yeah, like, come euphemism. in. I thought it was prison talk for something. something <laughs> come in. I'm gonna make you a little French toast. That's what I'm gonna do. But like you know, a fruit cake is also from that time because you could make a fruit cake at any time of the year, and if it's properly stored, it will keep for literal decades. So like you could just have a bunch of them on hand, and if a bunch of people came to your house and were like, "We're not leaving until we get some fucking dessert," you could just be like, "Here's some fruit cake. Good for Funny you." Funny you should say that. <laughs> some fruit cake um, I made in March. <laughs> Let's rate this film. Um, I, as I mentioned, had not seen this film previously. Uh, I really love this movie. I, I came into this at an 82. I'm now at an 86. I think it's a great movie. Um, Is 82 uh, your I, your base rating for things you haven't seen? No. <laughs> what? Oh, he he, said, he yeah, he watches the movie and it's like, here's my thought. And then he comes here and we change his mind. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, okay. So, the, okay yeah, right. So, so before this podcast, before we spoke of this, I was at an 82. Right. You have spoken of it. I'm now at an 86. Right. I've gone up. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a great movie. I mean, I, I, I will definitely watch it again. It makes me want to watch fill in my blind spots of Muppet films, um, especially curious about this most wanted the prison one sounds interesting mm -hmm. um it's not and treasure island mm -hmm. so you know i'll put those on my on my ipad to to potentially watch on on a plane it seems perhaps like a good <laughs> oh, no oh, it's a good no. plane movie okay um what about you clay what's your what's your rating on this film what did you think in 92 or, or when you saw this first not in 92 obviously, yeah. since you know i mean but, like and I said, now where are you it's it's impossible it's to be objective or to look i mean this was to me again this was the muppets this is what the muppets were so it, sure. it, it, it there's no moment in this movie that bumps for me or you know disappointingly subverts my expectations of what the muppets should do or what sure. they i'm not like ah oh, there isn't enough piggy because this was all there was this was what piggy was to me this and like muppet sure, babies sure. which was you know also just kind of its own thing but um i genuinely and, and you know there was a period in my life in college or whatever where i was the person who was like wouldn't sh fucking shut up about the muppet christmas carol and emperor's new groove it was like the kids thing that i uh you know emperor's took in new and made made my personality you know in 2007 uh -huh. i was anyone who would listen i was like but they took love is gone out and they're like all right you know what whatever <laughs> so i have no ob objectivity to this i okay. i i as a in of, in recent years i have appreciated it more and more and more and more as a as a film as a in terms of the craft in terms of the it is a absolutely immaculately put together movie that is completely effective i think the script one thing we didn't talk about is why do some muppet things not I, some things are just good or not good because of how good the script is i mean this is an a funny script this is a well written this is wall-to-wall -wall banger lines in this movie which isn't always the case and it elevates this one um it's sure. uh, i started at 100 i'm at like 100 i'm at a it's what, what it's 100 that's that's is that where that's this maxes out is <laughs> it's, that it's zero to 99 but yeah you 100 sure okay so it's a 99 then okay okay no well, say 100 break the scale do yeah, it it's 100 yeah, but scale. honestly, it's scale. honestly yeah. this is a without love is gone this is a 99 with love is gone uh it is it's a full-on it's a full-on hundo yeah <laughs> tom I mean, you don't watch it every day, every year since 1992, unless it's 
high in the 90s or 100. And if we're allowed to go to 100, it's 100. It's okay. like Clay said, everything that Clay said, I agree with. It's we and we haven't spoken enough about how funny it is. Oh my god! And I think Rizzo and Gonzo. Uh, that's Rizzo. One of the we best, didn't talk about one of the so finest double acts. The uh, jelly bean kills gag. it in this movie. The jelly bean gag, where he says, "Those were in your pocket. You had them the whole time." Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and then not only that, when he says you're you're so weird or something, and uh, Rizzo gives Gonzo a kiss on the kiss nose. Him a little kiss on the yeah. nose. You are that, such an idiot. Oh. Every time kills me. Love it. Not only is it hilarious, but it makes me cry every time. I'm not ashamed to say it. I cry which, a lot. Which part oh. makes you cry? Um, Parts? D- 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 no, at the end. It, it's so joyful. Okay. It's so joyful. I love it. The songs are great. Um, the Just the direction. If it wasn't a Muppet film, mm. uh, people would talk about it as being one of the he should have been yeah. nominated for best director that year yeah absolutely if this was just human beings the same aesthetic the same sets the same direction everything if it was just people people would have been yeah. like he's the new tim burton but people would have been so yeah. fucking excited about brian henson yeah and he just yeah. it, is, gets it lost is a shame it. that he well because like muppet muppet treasure island does pretty well i think it's just again it's timing it's just a little bit of cynicism people just not really knowing but all that being said, Emily um, is also, capable of tears, this is, this, so I don't imagine she cried. At this brave. Time. No one. We we haven't spoken about how it's a really brave choice. It's true of, yeah, it's of true. them to do this. Every decision they made is fucking ballsy, and it's a yeah. really talk about yeah. big swings. That's a huge swing, and I think they absolutely smash it. Uh, One hundred. Uh, Emily. My my film former film critic self who watches a lot of movies and tries to think about them sure. like came into here like in eighty seven and oh, like man. probably this discussion would bump her up to a ninety but <laughs> the me that is at the bar with all my fellow Christmas carols that's what we call uh, women who love Christmas Carol uh, just <laughs> fucking yelling about this movie seventy five she's like it's fucking fine. But it is no fucking, and then I rattle off like 17 other adaptations, and somebody would be like, no, but it captures the spirit. And I'd be like, it does fucking not, Leah. And she'd be like, you know that my name is Carol number 17 here. So, <laughs> so Emily, here's, here's my question to you. When do you make your movie called A Christmas Carol about a woman named Carol? Oh, oh, Phil, the Hallmark Channel has already done it. It's, it's been taken. Oh, it's been have? taken from me. I was going to say, there's it's, no it's way. Actually, it's actually, it's, it's called It's Christmas Carol. No, oh, Jesus. Uh, that's worse. Queer phobia scale. I'm giving this a one because the Muppets are queer friendly. They are allies. They oh, celebrate absolutely. queer love. Yeah. Go Muppets! Totally. Now that now, like somebody's yeah. going to take that out of you context and boycott the Muppets. Scrooge is not. Scrooge. Is I think I think Scrooge is an equal opportunity <laughs> employer. He's shitty to everybody. That's oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, so next week, uh, we are covering the aforementioned Home Alone 2, Lost in New York with uh, Carolyn Framke. Um, curious. I know, Tom, you just watched it recently. Yeah. Um, feelings about it in regards to the first or just, you know, Christmas movies in general? I mean, it's uh, it's that they're, they're playing the old hits. <laughs> uh, yeah, not as well. Well. A little broken too, if you ask um, me. It, yeah, <laughs> except uh, it it's boosted for me because 
in, in Peru. It's boosted in Canada because I yes, believe cut, I believe they Donald cut Trump, Trump from it. Yes, yes. The, Which like, I respect. Um, no, no, uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry, absolutely yeah. brilliant. In it. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. He's so yep. unique, and in he can go absolutely huge, but you you still buy it and. I, I would never cringe at a single line of his, no matter how big he does it. Sure. But then he's one of my favorite actors. So. You'll find out next week I had some issues with that film, but I was at a Christmas yeah. party last night, some some friends of mine threw, and uh, it was they had it on TV. They had it on a yeah. VHS copy on TV oh, wow. that they were running in the, like, 4-3, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. however many P that sure. it is. And, like, uh, I liked it better that way. So... <laughs> But I, I actually believe that because I mean, I, I think that the 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 love that people have towards Home Alone two specifically feels very nostalgia based for me. I think Home Alone one is unimpeachably a great movie. Like I, I mean, yeah. I, it's it's wonderful. The second one feels like generationally, like my roommate, for instance, who just is all about it. She's like, it's great. He gets a limo. And I'm just like, I, I don't I don't know how this is. This doesn't. It, but it, it really is because we watched yeah. Home Alone one mm. yesterday. Uh, and it really is all the same jokes, exactly the same jokes. But yep. I think they do it in such a... Um, this is the the reverse of Muppet Christmas Carol. It's so cynically done. It's that oh, we're yeah. just going to yes. take your money. You want to see the traps. We're going to do pretty much the same traps. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What's so perfect about the first Home Alone is um, it's absolutely airtight. The sure. reason for everything is absolutely airtight. And mm-hmm. the setup and uh, seeing all of the things already that are going to become traps and seeing sure. the reason for the phone going, for the alarm clock not being on, the reason that they lose his ticket, everything yeah. is so perfect. And then they do kind of it's, exactly but the it's, same it's thing. But it's so sweaty. But they've the already got one. your money, so fuck you guys. Yeah. Happy Christmas. Uh, I do think, though, that the pigeon lady belongs in a Dickens movie. <laughs> Yeah, she's very Dickensian. Of all of my friends, Clay, you feel like you're the most likely to have experienced a real life Home Alone situation. Is that accurate? What? <laughs> you just feel um, like maybe you like rigged up a I house to scare off some burglars. Uh, yeah, I could see it. No, I, I, I that is certainly what appealed to me about those movies. Uh, first time out, I did not have, uh, shall we say, the resources that were available to Kevin McAllister uh, gr- gr- growing up. <laughs> Uh, I was not uh, uh, the son of a multimillionaire or whatever the hell's going on in that movie. Uh, but yes, no, I um, I love those traps. I do love those traps. And that's why as a little Good kid, traps. I was sure. like, oh, Home Alone 2. This is sure. the one where things really get violent. So I'm loving this. He could, these guys should yeah. be dead. That's, I, mean, when, I mean, when Marv takes those bricks they... to the forehead yeah. from a four-story building, his cranium, it would have been splattered on everywhere absolutely (laughs) splattered he would be so incredibly dead but that's why i I I love the violence but as an adult the first one is a a much richer text the uh, the the bricks to the head i i am ashamed to say still make oh they're funny Every time. Oh, it's the um, performance. Daniel Stern. Yeah. The use of a oh. skeleton when he's, uh, when Marvel's yeah, electrocuted, have a skeleton. Yeah. Uh, 
he's when he's when he's fully electrocuted for a good 30 seconds yeah he should be dead um clay tell 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 our listeners where they can hear your dulcet tones uh and your uh, your other podcast oh sure yes i host a show called screen drafts where we bring on movie experts and enthusiasts to what we call competitively collaborate in making best of lists they alternate putting picks on a best of list from a topic starting at seven working their way up to one sometimes we do things that are a little bit crazier because the next one i mean this is coming out christmas eve so yeah starting in january all of january is scorsese month at screen drafts we are doing a scorsese super draft ranking Mm. all uh 29 of his theatrical features plus uh the no direction home bob dylan documentary because that came out as number one on a miscellaneous docs draft we did on our Patreon. So those 30 movies are going to be ranked from 30 to one by three different groups of guest GMs. Uh, The first group is team podcast like it's Mm -hmm. Uh, so Phil and Kenny and Emily are taking the bottom of the list. The middle of the list is going to be uh, Joe Reed, Chris file and Katie rich Uh, who have done some great episodes on our show together before. And then rounding out the top of the list is uh, Roxana Haddadi, Oriana Nudo, and uh, Brian Cogman. So we're doing all of those. In between, we are doing a draft of the Scorsese-produced movies, things he produced but did not direct, which is a fascinating group of films. And that is going to be Team uh, Max Film, our friends from the Max Film podcast. Uh, So that's going to be If You Want Away, Drea Clark and frequent guest Inku Kang, uh, Alonzo Duralde, as always, busy writing a book or something. Uh, so he was unavailable for that. And then our very own Ryan Marker and the great film writer uh, Mariah Gates are going to be doing a draft of the World Cinema Project Criterion titles. Wow. Wow. Uh, which is the foundation <laughs> that Scorsese started to uh, remaster, restore, uh, and highlight interna- international, great international movies from under uh, underseen uh, directors and things. So we are really doing the whole gamut. Soup to nuts, all Scorsese, all January. Um, so if that sounds up your alley, check us out. It Screen is, drafts. Uh, it's going to be crazy. I will say, having obviously spent um, some time reacquainting myself or filling in blind spots on Scorsese and what have you, um, we we as as you know cinema connoisseurs what have you constantly talk about how brilliant scorsese is but watching these films it's given me kind of a whole new appreciation of just how wide and and varied the spectrum of his of his talent is and what he's capable of It, it really is just sort of and obviously you know with with killers of the flower moon currently out and and you know he's back in people's uh top 10 lists and people are talking about him but it, it is you you, you kind of can't really wrap your head around just how majestic a talent he is and and his love of cinema and every nook and cranny of it it's right. why like whenever fucking twitter or whoever decides to get all up in arms because he s- said a slightly uh you know off color thing about marvel and you're just like do you know what he's given us? <laughs> like, do you understand what he's done for cinema? Uh, it is just, yeah, it's, it's a staggering, staggering. Yeah. And that's why uh, I'm excited to do these interstitial drafts in between the super draft, because contrasting with Spielberg, who we did this for last year, we did all Spielberg month, sure. is you look at the, the, the films that Scorsese has produced, 
and he is really fully dedicated to using his position in Hollywood to tr- help people, help totally. uh, female filmmakers, help un- filmmakers from underrepresented communities get movies made. 100%. And it's a it's a it's a great group of films that one and the World Cinema Project movies as well. So it's a yeah, yeah. Re- I'm very excited to have all of my these these friends returning to the show uh, to to spend the month of January talking Scorsese with us. I already know Phil's going to try and put New York, New York in the bottom 10, and it's not going to happen. Ooh, a preview. A lunatic. Are I you like, crazy? I like that movie. I don't think it's, uh, you know what, it, maybe it is in his bottom 10. He has such a rich filmography, but I'm going to do it just to spite you. I'm going to get it into the middle 10. <laughs> you're, oh, you man. Are not. Into the you middle 10. Not. And speaking of into the middle 10, if you are a member of our Patreon, the Booster Club, you will be voting on... You're a monster. <laughs> one title... If you agree with 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 Emily that something like New York, New York needs to be elevated from the bottom to the middle, we will be holding a vote in, in our Patreon for for Booster Club members of one title to protect to get to the next part of the draft. So one title is going to get a bye week and be protected straight out of the bottom to the middle. We'll do it again in the middle, say from the middle to the top. That- so. If that title happens to be The Departed, you might see Kenny have an aneurysm on Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, fully, fully ready for that. Emily, and you just like New York, New York, because you like Babylon. Um, oh, that being you've, got said, a, you've got a rollover veto as well. Oh, I do, don't way. I? Yeah. I that's, I've been hanging on to these things. Just uh... <laughs> Things you don't even know you're hanging on to. Yeah. You know what? I do think New York, New York probably belongs in the bottom 10, but I'm going to see if I can get it. To yeah. t- I'm going to get it to 21 is what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, a little guys, preview. Gonna be, it's going to be great. Uh, a little preview. Um, guys, you're the best. You're my favorite new team that we have on this, on this podcast. It's my favorite new team as well. We didn't even bring up that mm. the last time Tom and I were on the show, we talked about Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was still in the theaters. Yep. When was Muppet it? Christmas Carol, it was yep. a no, it was oh, a yeah. mid-November yeah. movie, so it was still in theaters. You could have potentially done oh my god. a double feature, and what a double feature! Oh Muppet, my. Dra- Muppet <laughs> Dracula! Oh my god! Muppet Dracula does need Muppet to Dracula. Happen. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Muppet, if Universal didn't have a stranglehold on those stories, uh, sure. it, like, yeah, Muppet, Muppet Invisible Man. Oh man! Well, this is okay. So this this will be my final question for you guys, and I'm sure you haven't. Maybe you've thought about this. I don't know. Because it does feel like everyone's like Muppet X. Do you have like a, this is, this is my, this is the one that I think Muppets should tackle. I mean, you said Dracula just now, but like, is there a classic of some sort that feels that it hasn't been Muppetized? Muppet Frankenstein? You asked (laughs) this last time we spoke and I think I said the road. Oh yeah, you did. (laughs) And and I haven't been able to get that out of my head. <laughs> Muppet, no country for old men. In terms of in terms of yeah. public do, in terms of public domain stuff, my yes, general answer yes. is Pride and Prejudice. I think that sure, sure, sure. I sure, think sure. that there's some uh, beauty to that being yeah. uh, a Muppet story. I don't know who you make the one human. Maybe the dad. Maybe like like the dad of all the daughters. Uh, I also really want to see Muppet War and Peace and just like really be a faithful, oh, sure, really be sure. a faithful adaptation of the novel. Takes like five episodes of television. It's but, a limited. It's a limited series, and it's the Muppets doing War and Peace, and the one the one human is Napoleon. <laughs> I I think I, I agree yeah. with Emily. Pride and Prejudice is the way, although it is 
if, if when the story the central thing of the story is a romance they clearly don't want to explore i mean they did a little bit with muppet caper but i don't know how far they want to go with the muppet and human romance <laughs> angle well that's the thing about pride and prejudice is there's no like sexual component to it because it's it's a it treats it as strictly right. a financial thing so yeah, yeah. but also i think i think this should go further than any adaptation in that regard sure. as well it should just be yeah. graphic <laughs> just oh i i think there is maybe something to be done with shakespeare as well i'm trying to think of that's these ubiquitous ubiquitous yeah. works a Romeo and Juliet, or Romeo and Juliet, a much ado about nothing, or a or a or or a Hamlet, right, right, or Titus Andronicus, and when the kids are <laughs> taking the pie and giving yeah. to, yeah, who, and who the Swedish eaten? chef comes on, the Swedish, put them in a pie. What? Yeah, it it, it does. This is maybe my still, most. There's still is nothing more terrifying, yeah. even as an adult, than sure. the Swedish chef having human hands. Oh man. <laughs> I didn't realize he had human hands until I was in my 30s. I was like, oh, my God, those are human hands. It just hit me all at once. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. In fact, I, I'm no longer 100. It's down to 99. <laughs> got I, I will say I do feel like maybe, and this sort of comes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is I do feel like it feels like we're just not mining this in a way that we could. Like, it does feel as though as much as I might enjoy these two kind of Muppet movie rebooty things, there's just so much IP out there, so much public domain stuff, so many things that could be done with the Muppets. And it's, it feels as though we're just, we're not doing it. Unfortunately. It's a, it's a problem. Yeah. Do you, but... I'm trying to think of another Christmas story. The Muppets could do. Cause I don't think Muppets nativity is going to fly. I no, don't <laughs> think that not. will fly. Um, I mean, I would watch a, a, a Muppet Hanukkah. Just yeah, what it's worth. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, maybe they do one of the other Dickens Christmas stories, which are all very lovely. The Cricket on the Hearth would be a good Muppet. Oh, okay. I and didn't know. Do them as other... a whole. Do them as a like the um, yeah. Henry Sugar Netflix thing, yeah. where it's a bunch of kind of uh, lightly you know things connected through that. Yes, the the yeah. source material. And if that fails, just do the Nativity, and the only human is Baby Jesus, <laughs> played by Tim Curry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to do better than that. Um, the Merry Christmas, the everybody. Happy holidays. The wise men. I mean, it's, it's yeah, Kermit and Piggy are Joseph and Mary, and God, you got Gonzo and Fozzie and Roll for the, the wise, wise men. men. Listen, the shepherds come down from the hills, and they're like, the angel yeah. came and told us that the baby was born, and you look in the manger, and Tim Curry's, and there he goes, I bet you weren't expecting to see me, eh? <laughs> Sam That's the Eagle the is, the, is the king who's trying to kill Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Happy holidays! Thank you both so much for coming on here and talking about this with us. Oh, we can't wait to have you back. I love you guys. Anytime, uh, Tom. As always, an absolute pleasure. Likewise, the highlight of Likewise. my year. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Two. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.